I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we look back at the movies of 1999 from our fifth story walk up here in Hell's Kitchen here in 2019. Sorry, 18. Um, I do that all the time. Yeah, man. That's all right. I'm not going to do it again. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, My name is Kenny Nybrod. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Phil Iscove. And today we're doing, as I just said right before, one of the reasons I think we did this podcast. This podcast has a lot, this uh, movie has a lot of things going for it. It's directed by one of the great filmmakers of all time, Martin Scorsese. Indeed. Has an Oscar win- winning actor in a movie we've already- Two Oscar winning actors. That's Patricia true. Arquette. Patricia Arquette won, won one as well. An Oscar winning one-time married couple. Um, Similar to Eyes Wide Shut, this movie might have been one of the no reasons shit. they got divorced. Yeah, yeah. I, I assumed that this movie was where they met. It is not where they no. met. Um, and uh, it's. Uh, I don't think they met on a movie, actually. No, it doesn't seem like they met on a movie. This is the first, first movie they were in together. The movie is. And the last. <laughs> bringing Out the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just. Uh, it's a very unique movie. There's, there's, really, nothing, there's really nothing like this movie, in yeah. my opinion. Um, there is a Scorsese movie that's similar to it, um, though very different. That is on my top I think five. There are, there's a couple, actually, I would say. Let's, um, let's... I mean, it should also be said, too, that uh, we're going to do our top five Scorsese. Scorsese movies. I actually have ten. Spoiler. All right, I actually have eight. So, okay. so it was tough for me to get it down to five, and I would also say, like, you know... <laughs> I have three out of them. Steven's already like, what the fuck I know. I was texting people earlier. I was like, it's so hard to get five, but I'm going to do it. Well, it's so funny. Well, you, can, you can have some. I said to Phil, I'm like, well, we should do five, because if we... Yeah. 
You said five. I said five or ten, and you said no. I know. Five I know. With caveats. I'm, all that's right. Fine. So I said five because I said if we get to ten, we're going to get to some movies I'm not super passionate about. I think and I have one on there that you're that you. If I remember correctly, There's no way you have the one I'm not super passionate. Well, no, no, about. no. The Departed's not on there, but I yes. will say um, that you did say. Oh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read Kenny's <laughs> text here. Uh, you really have quickly. it on there. I Come do. On, Come on, bro. No, no, no. It's good. I think it's funny. Um, uh, oh, no, read the text. I just can't believe you you forsaken me and put it on there. <laughs> I said. Uh, I said my list is might be unexpected. I like his modern stuff more than his classics. To which you said, if Hugo is on the list, we're ending the pod. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you put Hugo like firm top five, like you weren't like expanding to ten. That'd, no, it's that'd in be, my top ten. Oh, all right. Well. <laughs> the voice you hear belongs well. to Stephen Vitale. Stephen is our guest today. He, he chose this movie. He's a filmmaker. Um, a director the, in his own right? That's Writer-director? That's why I said filmmaker. Yeah, that's fair. Writer-director. Mm. You know, that's who makes films. But uh, You really he, want to split hairs this early? <laughs> what's the big deal? Filmmaker. That's okay, what it means. Just, I'm just stressing the... He's a writer and director. He also makes the films. The triple threat that is Stephen. What's the third thing? Uh, he can dance. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just going to go to another film thing. Like, edit. But dance. Let's get that lie out there. Um, Steven, kidding, I don't know. thank you for coming on yeah. this podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I think uh, the first question that I, I do want to ask is um, why this movie? Why this movie? Because I was presented, uh, I was presented with the, with – you really lobbying for this movie. You that you really yeah, love this movie. Yeah. Well, you really love Scorsese. I do. I think he's just. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's great. I think also too right now, like he's always everybody respects him, but it's like some of the the more like minor Scorsese films, if you have to refer him that way, completely overlooked. Like some people I've spoken to have never even seen this, which is mind boggling. So mm-hmm. it's not that easy to see. Yeah. Which is weird too. It's also you should put Criterion on blast right now. Not that, it's that, also that, not like, that, that easy to watch. So yeah. and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean yeah. like this isn't. It's a harrowing. It can yes. be a harrowing movie. Sometimes. This isn't a fun it movie. It affects your mood. Yeah, very this, much so. It's this is a movie that um, I have thought about constantly <laughs> since I since I watched it three days ago. Yeah, constantly. Is that first viewing? No, I saw it in '99. Okay, uh, I can't remember seeing it since. I loved it in '99. I can't remember seeing it since, and then it is. I saw. I think I watched it on like Wednesday or Thursday, and we're recording this on a Sunday. Um, it has colored every creative thing I've done since. Oh, nice. Really? I mean, yes. I mean that in a very good way. It's a really way. powerful movie. It is. And oh. I would also, I mean, listen, there's, before we get into this, biographical information, Stephen. Sure. Steve. Where were you in 1999? Where was I in 1999? I think before this movie, I was 11 when this movie came out. I was born in okay. 88. So. Okay. Uh, so you did not see this in the theaters. Did not. <laughs> but I have a weird memory of like the imagery, uh-huh. like from trailers or something. Sure, it's but, a great like, trailer. I was always aware way. of the movie. I hadn't seen it. Also, until, a great poster. Yes, yes. very evocative. Yes. Very yes. Eyes. So like, I was aware there was a Nick Cage movie where he was an ambulance driver. I don't even know if I knew it was Scorsese for a while because I got to his work later sure. on. But uh, yeah, I saw it for the first time a few years ago. When do you think you saw it? Probably a few years ago. Okay. So you were you're 11. I'm, where are you living at this point? Garden City, New York, Long sure. Island. Oh, from Westchester. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Look at us. So, so exciting. <laughs> How far you've come. Yeah. All the way Garden, across the Garden City's pretty close to the city, right? It, yeah, it's about 30-minute train ride right into Penn Station. We yeah. have like four different train stops right in our town. It's a, do? It's it's a, a commuter town. Yeah, like a sizable all the, all town. The, yeah, all the parents commute into the city like every morning. That's the thing. Really? Were you a Met fan? Uh, oh, it's such a complicated question. <laughs> go this for it. This could be a full podcast. Met fan, 
growing up because my dad. Are you a Mets and, fan? I, I'm still a Mets fan, but I became I became a Yankees fan. Oh Is boy, that, that doesn't bother me, dude. Yeah. Because I think it was partially just because my dad was like, nah, he wouldn't buy tickets to go to a Yankee game. I had to win my first Yankee tickets. So let me tell you. Uh, really? Yeah. It, from a math competition in school, which I was horrible <laughs> at. So like that tells you That's how, how much hard how you bad. I was like, I got to see Jeter. It. It's yeah. happening. Math is going down. Oh, and yeah. I got the tickets. You were, like, you were like Rudy. So I technically got, for yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got tickets to the first Yankee game I went to and brought my dad because he was he's a diehard uh, Mets fan. So I'm a, I, I'm, I was a diehard Mets fan growing yeah, up. Yeah. I worked for the Mets out of co- or when I was in college. Um, and it was, it was the, the biggest part of my identity for yeah. so long in my life was yeah, being, yeah, a, being a Met fan. And then about, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, I just gave up on them. And, um, and I, and I really respect. <laughs> what, what was the, what was the breaking point? Cause every year when I talk to like family or friends that are Mets fans, like 20, 30 games in the season, they're like, this is the year they look so good. And, oh, and they, I'm like, I'm like, year, talk yeah. to me in two months. Seriously. They're like. I don't know what happened. Did they, 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 fell they, apart. Had a, they had a playoff run, what, two years ago, right? They went to the World Series in, in yeah, 2015. Yeah, yeah. It was super crazy. Right? They and, do stuff occasionally. Yeah. and I, and I to the World Series is not nothing. I definitely dipped my toe back in the water then. I'm yeah, sure. It was no, um, Jose Reyes leaving. That yeah. broke my heart yeah. after his batting uh, after his batting title, not paying for him. Um, I'm really getting into it. I think it's a, I, 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 was, a lot. I, I was always super uncomfortable the way they treated Willie Randolph and Jerry Manuel. Um, oh, that's fair. Yeah, the, yeah. I get that. Two, they, two of the two of the three winningest managers in history, and then you keep Terry Collins for six years, like he's ever fucking done something. But the point about the Yankees is they love their fans. <laughs> yes, Met, the Mets ownership. I'm not sure. About. You know what our fans love? Pop, talking about talking movies, about movies. <laughs> not talking about fucking sports. <laughs> I thought bringing up the day was just. A, a way for us to get into the Mets. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, it's not really. That's a really <laughs> good point. That's a really good point, Phil. All right, so bringing out the dead. I want to ask the other question. Well, how hold on. You... Wait, yeah. I mean, I just want to... Oh. How does he know me? Is that what you're going to yeah. ask? Uh, through That's not my for roommate. That's for him. Oh. oh. I guess through your roommate. Melissa. Through Melissa. And Eric. Okay. Is or that... Eric and Emily. Oh. I don't know. We all, at this point... Yeah, it's part of, part of a larger crew. But my yeah. question okay. is, in 99... I guess my question to you is, when did you get the film bug? Like, what was when did it I get that the film bug? Good and, question. Uh, good question. Way better than how do you know that's, film? So that's also a really good <laughs> question. Should so have been. I, I love movies growing up. Like when I was a kid, I was obsessed. My mom took me to Blockbuster constantly. I must have rented The Fugitive like a million times. Gleaming okay. the Cube, a random one that I would just find and grab. Wait, is like, that, isn't that that's the skateboarding, the skateboarding movie? movie yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so it was all over the place. But um, we were like late adopters to technology in my house. So like internet late, cable late. So always watching Sunday afternoon movies on basic you know, broadcast yeah. channels. So oh, it's cool. a really eclectic mix of like 10 commandments, like those types of movies. And then, you know, like 12 angry men. Bro, I like WPIX and WWR too. I know those, I know yeah. the movies that you're talking about. So I got like the bug and in an indirect summer school with on. Mark Harmon, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Summer school. So many great, I remember Gene Wilder like and Richard over. Pryor movies. They love oh, playing. Yeah. Mel Brooks Stir movies crazy. too. Yeah. Stir crazy was on all the time. All Cino the evil, time. Evil. All that the time. I remember from a kid. But so it was, I watched a lot of movies. My dad would like randomly like, wax poetic about like bridge over the require why 12 sure. angry men is such a good movie but he'd be like i'm a movie fan casually hmm. so i had these weird influences we had a camcorder in the house that he like he loved playing with because he worked a normal job so it was like was his toy do? he works in like finance yeah. okay so um but so that was like his toy so I never got That's my hands really on a funny. camera so i tell him like yeah you told me it wasn't a toy once now it's a toy <laughs> So now it's a toy, but yeah. I, I think the first movie that made me start thinking about film, yeah. which I think is what you're getting at, yeah. is um, I think it was it was probably it was 2002 Minority Report. Is that when that came? Okay, out? yeah, 2002. That was the first one I watched because Spielberg my whole life. Sure, E.T. is sure. like my favorite movie. Like that was right. my early childhood. It was like it was all Spielberg all the time. Indiana Jones, Jaws, that stuff. I'm so and bummed then, we don't have a Spielberg. 
It's kind of ninety nine, but anyway, he was like because we got like, everything else. He just he you know, did Saving Private it. Ryan in ninety eight. Yeah, was, anyway. But so Minority Report is the first one where I left the theater and was like piecing together the shots. Like really? that's when I started to think about set pieces, blocking, how they get this, how they do that. So that was the first film where like the the you know. Flip, uh, flip the switch yeah. sort of thing. Well, how interesting. He's, it's interesting, too, because, like, I mean, Spielberg is is a master storyteller. Yeah. Scorsese's not. Scorsese actually doesn't really care about well, telling you a that, story that well. That famous quote hmm. where he's like, Scorsese's more interested in story than plot. That's his whole thing. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's the way of looking at it. That's that's actually a, yeah. a, that's a much more eloquent way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, because like this movie is for all intents and purposes pretty plotless, and we'll, we'll talk about it obviously. Yep. But it's it's like Scorsese is so um, determined to put you in the psyche of his characters or or into the universe of these people. Um, put you in their shoes, whereas Spielberg. It's not that he's not interested in character. He very much is, but he wants to tell you the best possible story he can tell you. Like he just wants right. to, he just wants to tell you a yarn that you're going to love. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just think it's interesting because obviously these two guys come up together right. at a very different time. Oh, they're good friends, good friends on either sides of the country mm-hmm. in very different ways, um, and yet they're sort of synonymous. Like you, when you talk about that they're time, the, they're the two great American filmmakers. I mean, like, it's like kind Coppola, of, kind of, but no, he dropped off. No, not really. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, no, not, no, really. not really. The four friends, right? The four, the five friends. Yeah. The five friends. If you want to give to Palma, you want to give him that's a nod. Consistently right. yeah. prolific American yeah. filmmakers throughout the decades yeah. doing different work, those, I think, is yes. those two. Especially so, if you look at the different yeah. 80s, 90s, 2000s, what they were doing in each of those. It's just, no, there's, there's no question. Yeah. So right, the, the five friends yeah. are Spielberg, Scorsese, um, Palma. I was going to say him last. Uh, Lucas, uh, <laughs> Lucas, Coppola, and De Palma. Yeah, right? right. And on the peripheral, you had Schrader and Milius. And you have right, Schrader, right, right. well, yeah, influencing a lot of all there. You work, Schrader. But. There are some other guys. I mean, Ron Howard's kind of in and around that too. A little he's bit. The um, next, yeah, but he's, he's he's a lot younger. He is, but he's still. He was he was right. in Lucas's world. Yeah. Well, Zemeckis and, is part of that world then. And Zemeckis too. is also I mean, kind like of on the peripheral it, it there sort of too. Ripples yeah, Bob outwards. Zemeckis was like but you, Steven's, you know, underling. And yeah, Lucas but the five was, yeah. the five core guys are those five guys. Yeah. And you know, look, De Palma, whatever, has had an incredibly successful career. De Palma is maybe a top fifty filmmaker of all time. I don't think so, but maybe the other four guys. I put him there. The other four guys. Some people do. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. So the other four guys lay claim to being. The four most important American filmmakers. Of I mean, all they certainly. Time. I mean, I mean, obviously, he, Lucas and Coppola. Of the have. last fifty years, I don't think there's a question. I don't even know who's close. Well, here's Let's what I'll say: though. like Paul Thomas Anderson. I kind of, I, the Brothers. reason that I kind of put Spielberg yeah. and Scorsese in their own camp really just has to do with how prolific they are, right? Like, there's and just the, and their the, body the, of work and how high, yeah. And the spectrum playing. is just really yeah. broad. I, I think that. I mean, listen, we can have a discussion. It's nice to about, talk about a great filmmaker every once in a while, right? isn't it? Because this isn't Raja Guznel anymore. <laughs> we just had never been kissed and we're like, whew. Uh, it I is also great. made the distinction about story versus plot, yes. which I think we should just reiterate yeah. here. Yeah. Um, just the distinction being, I believe, and Stephen, tell me if you have a different understanding, plot is what happens and story is the emotional journey of the character. Yeah. Right? That's a fair way. Of, yeah. More or less, right? Yeah. And, I, and yep. I do think that's, an interesting distinction between um, Spielberg and Scorsese. But I would also say, too, that when these – 
I mean, first of all, we should just like to, we're not pitting these two filmmakers against each other. They're obviously drastically dissimilar, but they're also have their similarities as well. But I would say that when these two guys find material that allows them to have the synergy of story and plot mm-hmm. in a way that is amazing, you, you just kind of go like, well, it transcends and it goes to that next level. Some might argue that Spielberg does that more often than Scorsese does, because Scorsese, I don't think, is gearing for that as much. I think that Spielberg looks for that synergy, whereas Scorsese just, I'm, again, I don't mean to, I, I don't know, but it, it doesn't seem as though that's as important yeah. to him. But he's also done some fucking plotty movies. Like, he's done Sh- uh, Shutter Island. He's done The Departed. I mean, these are plotty movies. Right. Are you... You can argue about how successful they are at that, or whether or not it's interesting. I think I those just, I think those are his two by far most overrated movies. So that's, I think Shutter Island's overrated. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's really. I really like Shutter Island, yeah, but I also some don't, people love it. I think it's. Really I don't bad. know that it was ever if it's under- raved about. Yeah, that's the thing. I I feel like I've heard people rave about it, and then you're like, you could cool it a little bit, or oh. they're or they're really cold on it. And you're like, well, it's it's better than that. I'm 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 really cold. <laughs> like, so I'm really cold on it. Yeah. So I guess I hear. I guess I feel like right. I'm very sensitive to these. Like, no, it's a modern classic take. But even that movie is like. I, you can I still like Shutter Island just for the for the visuals. Yeah, I think it looks right. great. Too. But that's I mean, also really beautiful. Uh, really driven by character especially once you get to the end of it and then you rewatch it again through that lens i think it's just a matter of how him how spielberg and scorsese find their in to the story and the characters i agree with that and then and then they lean on different things so it it makes their movies function i think they're also two guys that take like that if you look at their filmographies next to each other you see the peaks and the valleys but you also see them pushing themselves you see them sort of putting themselves into into things that maybe they're not either known for right. you know if you look at age of innocence which i think is an underrated scorsese film mm-hmm. doesn't feel like a scorsese movie at all i mean there's no there's no other than that it's a new york story there's very little about that that makes it's you it's a plotty like, movie it is, but it's yeah. also it's it's a it's a movie about manners and 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 reputation, and it, right. it's it's just not things that you think about with him, you know. And then there's the obvious ones, the Kundans and the the silences and the stuff like that, which he obviously feels very passionate about, and yet they're just boring movies. I don't, I, unfortunately, yeah, I think yeah, they're boring yeah. movies. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, in my in my humble yeah, opinion, we'll disagree about silence. Um, but. Is silence on your top ten? Would it be on your top ten? Uh, uh, top ten. Maybe, yeah. Okay. But that's also, you know, I have an affinity. For, I love Japanese cinema and golden right. age of right, Japanese right, right. cinema. So, like, you know, how I that movie can be slow silence, for so some I, people. I like, I was binging Japanese films for a while. And then I watched Silence and it was like, yeah, yeah, this is cool for me. Like, this is great. Like, I was prepared for the <laughs> sure, pace sure. and what he was trying to do. I, sound I need to watch I, I want to ask you guys a question. and It's, a, it's an exercise. <laughs> What's a, a Spielberg movie you uh-huh. think would have been better directed by Scorsese? And vice versa. Oh, man. That would be better directed by Scorsese. Well, now I'm just... I just wanted to say the dumbest thing I could. What? I just want to be like, Tintin. (laughs) And just really (laughs) go back. No. I think there's an obvious answer for the Scorsese movie that would have been better directed by Spielberg. Is it? Okay. Hugo. Oh. Yeah, I guess. Here's a movie that I think... Yes, I would agree with that. Spielberg did exceptionally. I love it so much, but I would be fascinated to see the Scorsese version. I don't know if it would be better, but catch Mm -hmm. me if you can. Because that sort of falls in between both of their strengths. That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Wow. I kind of... It's way better than my shitty answer. With them both. I had a shittier answer than that. (laughs) What was your shitty answer? I'm so upset with it now, because catch me if you can is an awesome answer. Uh, Bridge of Spies was my answer. Okay. I think that would have been a cool Scorsese movie. That's an interesting choice. You know, 
I think he would have needed more. <laughs> I was going to say something shitty like The Terminal just to be an asshole, but I do think that you love that movie. Stephen I kind of fucking a... hate The Terminal. No, you love oh. that movie, right? No, <laughs> just for the record, he loves. I'm going to no. the number of times uh, he privately talks about the <laughs> dude. Um, I think that the sorry, I'm 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 reverse engineering it. The Spielberg, the Scorsese movie that would have been interesting directed by Spielberg. Yeah. Um, would have would be Hugo, but I do think that Hugo has something that Scorsese brought something to Hugo that I don't think Spielberg would have. I think the Robert Richardson photography, I think the Dante Freddy production design. Right. I think that that Scorsese's Below the Line gang is I don't want to say more interesting than Spielberg's, but Spielberg is is very safe. Like he's just he goes back to the same guys or girls. And I don't I think that Scorsese is willing to shake it up. He'll go to Michael Ball, uh, Ballas. He'll go to, like, right. I, I just, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't know I, if it's fair. I'd have to check, but I feel like throughout his career, Scorsese's mixed up certain things. Right. I think he's willing. crew that, like, have have Either by necessity. A little bit more, yeah. Or just because, either fair. way. I, yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting question. And, uh, you know, I think Hugo's really good, guys, and you should check out Hugo. Um, it's in your top ten, I guess? It is in my top ten. Cool. Uh, what? I think I think you're. I don't know why you're shitting on Hugo. I think it's interminably boring. That's how I truly feel. I think it was one of the most boring watches I've ever seen. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Actually, literally, it was a, it was about a boring watch. But oh Jesus Christ! Oh, that was when we do the like, top five or top ten. We'll, we'll talk about. We'll it. have you expand. Uh, on that. Yeah. Can't so wait. bringing out the dead. Okay. At the twenty minute mark, uh, just the like synopsis of bringing out the dead. Uh, after a disheartening and haunting career wears him down, New York City paramedic Frank Pierce, played by Nicolas Cage, begins to collapse under the strain of saving lives and witnessing deaths. Through the course of a few nights, three co-workers, John Goodman, Ving Rhames, Tom Sizemore, accompany Pierce as he grasps for sanity and pushes to be fired. Before Pierce falls off the edge, he still has hope when he finds a friendship with a victim's daughter, played by Patricia Arquette. Uh, Bring Out the Date opened, Bring Out the Dead opened on October 22nd, 1999, which I think is telling. This was in a time when you put movies in October that you weren't really sure how to shot at Oscars. I think that there was I'm not sure about that, but I mean, okay. It's Scorsese. The, the year, I mean, but if it's Scorsese, it should be Christmas. We like, know I this, don't, I, this, this yeah. movie, if this was released at Christmas, I think has a little bit more Oscar cachet to it. But. That wasn't, I, I kind of remember that that wasn't the sense around this movie, that this movie was some kind of rush out or some kind of drop in the middle of nowhere. I th- I felt like this was one was of the big mo- no no I don't know about the October date release date one of the big movies of that year going into it like I was incredibly I were, excited we for were this super movie. obsessed with like Entertainment Weekly at the time sure and it was something that people were very excited about um, this was a that, big this was also a very big year for Paramount Paramount had and also a big fall for Paramount they had Bringing Out the Dead they had Sleepy Hollow and they had Talented Mr Ripley um, yeah all Oscar plays all in their own Oscar way. plays in their own way. Um, so maybe that has something to do with the release date. Either way, I know that I was very excited for this movie. Um, I, personally speaking, I just love – I'm fascinated with paramedics. I think that it's just a, a really too. interesting world. And I was – and the trailer for this movie is a fantastic trailer. I don't know if you've watched it recently. Oh, no, I have. It's, it's a great trailer. It's nuts. It's great. It's nuts. It's – It sells what you're going exa- to It's like, it does sell here's the movie. movie. Yeah. This is the movie. Yeah. And it's insane and, you know, buckle up. But I also think that 
Nicholas Cage was in an interesting space at this point in his career because I'm trying to think Just of. Since, was Snake Eyes right before that? Um, well, eight millimeter was eight millimeter, which, which we okay. which yeah. we did, uh, and we'll uh, we'll drop this week. Uh, and by this week, I mean who Two the hell knows ago. when the fuck this is going to be <laughs> dropping. Yeah, uh, it's not like the only people who are making that decision are currently on this podcast. I certainly don't know. And neither do I. Um, <laughs> who knows? He's he's coming off of an interesting sort of string. He's got Con Air. So okay, post leaving Las Vegas, he's got The Rock. He's got Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels, Snake Eyes, 8mm, then this. Killing it. <laughs> Just killing the game. Yeah. I mean, I love Face Off. I think The yeah. Rock is great. I don't really like Con Air. Snake Eyes is garbage. 8mm is an interesting mess. So I feel the exact way about all those movies. So Con Air is great. Um I saw Steven's face when you said uh, Snake Eyes is garbage. He knows. Let's hear the De Palma I love thing. De Palma. Yeah. I, think I need fantastic. to watch that documentary, think, which I've heard is great. I'm it, reading, oh, I'm that reading, documentary is phenomenal. I brought like, this up before. Phenomenal. I'm reading a book called, I forgot what the book's called, like The Devil's Something. It's about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, okay. Which you is, should read yeah. it. He's super. He's like a super interesting character, Yeah, De Palma. He was like the... He was like the third child of three children, and he was like a mistake, and he was told he was a mistake. So this is all in that yeah. documentary. He talks about okay. it really candidly. Oh, uh, yeah, what's yeah. the documentary? I think it's just called De Palma, isn't it's it? It's called De Palma. It's uh, directed Noah by Bombeck. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. on, I think it's on Prime right now. Super candid yeah. about his family stuff in it. Super candid about his career. So did they talk about the anecdote with his dad and the cheating? Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, where he was like following his dad around. And yes. Then, and like that ended up in one of the movies that he, I can't remember what He made a movie exactly. about it. Yeah. He made a, yeah. I mean, he's, he is a fa- an endlessly fascinating he's, guy. Yeah, he's very but, clear about his obsession with voyeurism. Yeah, um, but he, he, it seems like. Especially he, his, his early stuff like High Mom with Robert De Niro. Like all, those movies yeah. are really interesting to watch. I think we can all safely say that De Palma's greatest achievement is telling George Lucas he needed to put a fucking scroll on Star Wars because it didn't make any fucking no, sense. No, not God, but 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 that, that means that's a, that's anybody's greatest achievement. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think first like, he this told doesn't George Lucas that yeah, the movie's terrible. He's like, this he is did, a fucking he terrible. Like, I don't know what's happening. Like, yeah, he's yeah. like, put something in front of it so people know what's happening. He really does, literally a toss he does that idea. Feel, he does feel like that group of people's smartest friend. You yeah. know, like he was always the guy they were trying to impress. Yep. I feel and like then that's they all, how they talk about him. Yeah. Too. And then they he, they went and all had bigger careers than I him. Mean, but. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll fess up to it. I saw Snake Eyes like opening weekend really? in the theater. I like it's think not I like may I didn't. Because, I mean, I kept thinking post Mission Impossible that De Palma was like, he's got it back. He's going to do something exciting now. Right. And I saw fucking Mission to Mars in the fucking theater. I saw Snake Eyes, Listen, and that was the end. I was like, I'm done with you. And then he does Femme Fatale, and I was like, okay, this is fun hits. and stupid. But anyway, long story short, Nicolas Cage, he makes Snake Eyes. Uh, he does make, makes 8mm, he does Bringing Out the Dead. Nicolas Cage makes a lot of movies. And yeah. some might say that he should have made fewer movies. We we, we covered this a lot in, in the eight millimeter. millimeter. But I'm just anyway. So and, uh, and and it was more apt in the eight millimeter episode than this because eight millimeter is probably is kind of like a good version of the Nicolas Cage we've come to know today. Wacky, out of his mind, Nicolas Cage. This is. Nicolas Cage, one of the best actors who's ever lived, doing some of his best work. This is, he's amazing in this yeah. movie. Uh, and this movie, and then, I mean, he does a, but like, adaptation, matchstick men, like, he still has it. And that's why I still think Nicolas Cage could, 
could have a comeback. But I digress. He's great in this movie. Yeah. He shows up for this movie. He is, his face is so perfect for this movie. Like, there's just times where the camera's just sitting on his face with voiceover, and you're just like, this guy yeah. is Eyes crushed. Out, yeah. Sunken cheeks. It's just, just he's, you know, and, and he has these moments, these flickers of, of, of the, the, the crazy Nicolas Cage, you know what I mean? Like when he's in the back of the uh, back of the ambulance, and he's shooting up with like B twenty B twelve vitamins, oh, yeah. and he's like, "It's all I got." Like yeah, he's, he's like, just, "We don't have any beer. <laughs> yeah. This will have to do." Like he has these flares of that amongst a very sort of like could be perceived as a monotone performance, which I don't think it is. No, I think this movie just got bagged. I think that it just didn't get what it deserved in its moment. I think that people thought, oh, it's going to be Taxi Driver again. And it's not. That's what it was. That's what they were pushing, I think. Or not the not, Paul Schrader not of it the all? studio, not right. necessarily. But I think just publicly, it's like that was the perception. It's a guy driving around at night in seedy parts of Manhattan. You're seeing, the, right. you know what I mean? Like that just seemed to be the easiest thing for people to latch on to. And they were kind of missing the point that it's uh, the characters almost it's polar opposite. Total polar opposite. But also, so, this movie's funny. Like I know it can be. It's and and I know that we've had this with Eyes Wide Shut as well. Yeah, but I think this oh, that movie, was my favorite conversation. <laughs> I think that was like when, the, when you guys were like, "Is Eyes Wide Shut a, a comedy or uh, not?" No, no, no. <laughs> I went back and rewatched it like, that, that night. I was like, "Gotta enjoy this now." <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think that this movie has a little bit of that, which is that 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 it's trying to juggle a lot of tones. But there are scenes that are undeniably funny, but they're they're darkly, darkly, bleakly funny. The scene with the the one that comes to mind is with his captain, where he's just like, you swore you would fire me if I came oh, yeah. here again. You swore. He's like, I'll fire you tomorrow. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he barks at him. Yeah. And then he punches the table. Yeah. He's like, and he throws the key at him. Like, it's, I, I don't know. Man. Yeah. I, I also think that the manic energy of Tom Sizemore, the Ving Rhames stuff, there's a lot of humor in this movie. I think this is a lot closer to After Hours. After Hours is the Scorsese than movie it is that, taxi I was, driver. that I was alluding to that's yeah. kind of similar yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, I was, I, if there was a double bill, I'd put After yeah. Hours. In after this Hours 100%. is probably yeah. the movie. I mean, this might not be true in this room, but we're, uh, my opinion of it, I think, is much higher than the public's opinion of it's it. It's in my top five. Oh, yeah. No, yeah it's oh, way right. up there so for me, Then too. I don't have issues in this room. They're very similar movies to me, right? Yeah. yeah. These kind of fever dream. At night in New York. At night yeah. in New York. Yeah. Um, I love After Hours. I, I just – I love the fucking crazy weirdness of it. And I love the everyman quality of that. Um, but this is really evocative, too. This is, this is absolutely what I think it probably feels like to be driving the graveyard ship, shift yep. in uh, – in Hell's Kitchen yeah. in the late – well, I guess it was the early 90s, whatever, um, with these crazy fucking partners. Yeah. Well, I mean they get, I mean, they, they get yeah. progressively crazier because I think Ving Rhames oh, yeah. is well, pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. And then yeah. Tom Sizemore is obviously yeah. a danger to everybody He's, around yeah. him. I um, First of all, let me really quickly finish the context because we got sidetracked after I said October 22nd. Oh, God, I love getting sidetracked. Um, <laughs> Bring Out the Dead opens on October 22nd, 1999 in fourth place. With $6.1 million behind The Best Man, which got first oh, place. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It would go on to grow $16.7 million on a $55 million budget. It's a big old flop. Um, yeah. Bring Out the Dead has 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I want to read quickly um, just a couple uh, things that I got from some critics that I think are worthy of 
this and we'll I think, hopefully uh, spark some conversation. But Ebert said to look at bringing the, at the dip. To look at bringing out the dead, to look, indeed, at almost any Scorsese film is to be reminded that film can touch us urgently and deeply. Scorsese is never on autopilot, never panders, never sells out, always goes for broke. To watch his films is to see a man risking his talent, not simply exercising it. Bringing out the dead is an antidote to the immature tox- intoxication with violence in a film like Fight Club. It is not Did he hate fun- Fight Club? Yeah. yeah. It is not fun to get hit. It is not redeeming to cause pain. It, is, it does not make you a man when you fight, because fights are an admission that you are not smart enough to survive your wits. Oh, so he misunderstood Fight Club. Fight Club makes a cartoon <laughs> of the mean streets. That's where now I understand. Them blinkingly. He absolutely misunderstood t- misunderstood, Fight Club. Misunderstood, but also it's kind of like they can both exist and talk to these things exactly. in different ways and still be sure. really wildly successful, successful. and great. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think that the reason I, I, I pulled that quote Aside from, you know, how audacious on some level it is that he's shitting off Fight Club. But it's it's that this movie is about pain. Bringing Out the Dead is about pain. It's And it's about anguish. It's about trying to sort of – it's one of the many things that it's It's also about about failure. It's about failure. Um, It's about coming to terms with – the fact that we all have to die. I mean, there's there's things in this that the physical pain is what jumped out at me about this quote. That idea of seeing Nicolas Cage with blood all over him or that idea of when Tom Sizemore beats the shit out of uh, Mark Anthony no, at the end. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it is a visceral movie because it's about mortality and it's about this vessel and what we do to try to keep it ticking. Right, I was going to say past that physical pain, spiritual pain. Like that's, Absolutely. That's really, that's really what, what I felt too. Yeah. It's just that It's a very religious got, movie. Yeah. yeah. Nicolas Cage has got like kind of one foot in the grave, one on the gas pedal the whole movie. Right. You know, and we'll talk about other characters. I won't go down yeah. the rabbit hole yet. But yeah. like there's a lot of that going on too, obviously. The numbness yeah. of that stuff and like what's your place in bringing back people and not and God and all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very powerful movie because – it's about a guy who's doing – his job is to do everything in his power to prevent death, to buy you mm-hmm. as much more time as is humanly possible. Um, and that's a noble pursuit, and yet at the same time, sometimes it's not. Well, there's there's the, the argument. Burke, the, the, the Mr. Burke of it all. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, look, the setting is not an accident, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean like just setting in a shitty neighborhood. Setting in a shitty neighborhood called Hell's Kitchen. It's not the 90s. Well, the 90s is just, I mean, from the, the, the healthcare perspective, I think that was. mentioned that. I love that the movie starts off with, it literally is like, hey, just so you know, this is mid 99, but it's a period piece. This takes place in the early 90s. It's like, cool. So this took place like seven years ago. Seven years ago. I always, I actually always kind of feel those, but, um, but I'm talking about the, 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 the evocation of hell. The evocate. You got me. The evocation of hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is something. You got me. I think it's fantastic. There is something about uh, bringing people back from the dead that is the work of the devil, right? That's interesting. Um, that is, I think, an undercurrent of what's going on here. And I'm not trying to say that anyone's coming down on any side here. But what EMTs do to some people can be considered the work of the, Yeah, the work of the devil. Right? Yeah. And I think that's something that he's kind of that's really grasping with. That's a really interesting. I did not think about that. But I really yeah, I felt that. that for sure. I think it's he obviously loves saving people. Like they kind of equate that to it being a drug, drug, yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. But then he's also 
grappling with the fact that like, well, sometimes it's not the right situation. But how do you deal with that when you, that's so shitty? Have you guys so insurmountable? I don't know if this is uh, this is just an aside, but have you guys ever taken um, CPR classes? I've yes. not. So you know, and Stephen, you may know this, but uh, the reason you give CPR is not to keep them alive. It's to keep blood flowing to the brain in case they can be brought back from the dead. Okay. Yeah. Right? And that that distinction, yeah. learning that when I took CPR was kind of shocking to me. The idea that I can't walk I, – I, I just can't walk up to a scene – walk up to a, a, a corpse and put my hand next to his neck or on his neck next to his pulse and decide this guy's dead. I, I have to move on. Like right. that's not that's not what it means, right? That If I'm being responsible – but I think this movie is kind of making you question about what is actually your responsibility as a human being and what is it, what it, is the responsibility you have to a fellow human fellow human and yeah. is living better than dying and you know right it's do we a, even want to be here there's a great line that um that Ebert actually put at the top of his review oh, I know which one you're uh, I came to realize that my work was less about saving lives than about bearing witness I was a grief mop best mm-hmm. line in the movie it's a phenomenal movie a phenomenal movie and a phenomenal line but it, it, it's I mean that's that sums up the movie in a lot of ways this idea and, and that's why when, you're, when we have these shots of just Nicolas Cage's face with this voiceover and you just see him looking out the windows right. at the people that he might need to save that night at some point um, and, and the failure that you spoke of earlier, that idea of not being able to do this thing that he's, he thinks he's supposed to be put on this, potentially on this planet to do is also very heartening. There's just this, there's a guy who's just, I mean, to say he's at a crossroads is to, is to be sort of glib. Yeah, it's like, a little simplistic. He's just, he's this whole world is crashing down on his shoulders. It's and and that's part of why. I mean, there's there's a lot of Jesus allegories going on here too. Of a guy who's I, I don't want to say that he's sort of dying for people's sins, but there is something to that. He is he is taking on other people's sins, yeah, which is really what Jesus mm-hmm. does. I mean, that's the idea. Right. That Jesus Jesus is supposed to right. uh, absorb your sins, right? Right, and that's yeah. Kind of what Nicolas Cage is doing here to a certain extent. There's also that other line that there's the when he says all bodies leave a mark. Yeah. It's another just dagger of a line in there. <laughs> we were like, yeah. It's a great script by you Schrader. I mean, he he showed up for this script. Yeah, and he's balancing so many things, right? It's it's nature, science, religion, humor. It, yeah, yeah, it's just like all these big ideas in small moments. Romance yeah, it's, in its own way, too. Like these two people that you sort of feel are kind of circling each other. Right. You know, I don't I don't necessarily know that it ever gets to a place of romance, but it's definitely a place of being there for each other in a way greater than just friends. Yeah. The expectation you know? reality of situations he's yeah. been in before and are slightly different or he thinks will play out a certain way. I mean I also yeah. think and I, I I never really this is always just kind of washed over my head until I I, I saw this movie. But how many hospitals Bear the name of a saint, yeah. or of you know, our of a church, or of God Himself, or of Jesus, or you know, by the same token, how many, how many are named after Mount Sinai, or or Jewish things, and how many are basically religious based, or, or, or religiously religiously affiliated? When you take into account also that science and medicine 
are antithetical to religion in so yeah. many cases. Continuing life in so many ways is not our job, right? This is all stuff we decided is our job. Yeah. So I don't know. That's it, that's so interesting to me. This idea that this guy is basically put on Earth, or he thinks he's put on Earth to prolong life. Yet all this religious allegory down to the the one sheet with his eyes and the cross, the cross. and the cross yeah. has a dual meaning, right? Cross means two things for us. Cross means Christian Christian religion. Cross also means a, a hospital. hospital. Yeah, it's it's. I mean. There's so much packed into this movie that I feel like no one gave it its due on it's when it came yeah. out. And it's like even just reading some of these. So there's there's actually a handful of articles online. I'm sure that you did a little bit of a deep dive as well. A but I, I feel like there's a lot of love for this movie online now. Yeah, I more thought, love than I, I thought. I thought so too. My sense was that this was, this was a beloved movie at this point. Yeah. yeah what beloved, what I found too is anytime I suggest it to somebody and they actually sit down and watch it, yeah. they're like, holy shit. Yeah, why they, how they, do I yeah, not yeah. – why don't people talk about this Scorsese movie? Yeah. That's there's, usually there's an argument to be made. Some people think it was his last great film. I don't well, agree silly. with that. But I, I do know. think that um, – no, I, I don't agree with it either. But <laughs> barely. Uh, but, but I oh, – <laughs> um, there's a great quote that I'm going to pull out of this uh, Birth, Death, Movies article. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bring Out the Dead is a film that just wants people to stop dying, if only for a couple days. Perhaps we're seeing in this outlier of a film a sort of midlife crisis, a love letter to a city from a director pushing 60, using his gifts to, pr- to process the sadness of morality in his own terms. Or mortality, sorry, in his own terms. Certainly, that's worth something on its own. A middle chapter in someone's autobiography might not crackle as much as another chapter, but if you start skipping chapters, you won't get the whole story. As evidenced by The Wolf of Wall Street, angry Scorsese might be the best Scorsese in a long while. But as I learned with Bringing Out the Dead and Hugo and Shutter Island, I'll take any Scorsese over no Scorsese. Um, I, I think that that is interesting just in terms of it's an oddly hopeful and hopeless movie. It's it's an oddly romantic movie. And by that, I mean, one of my favorite moments in it is Cy hanging off of the building with the sparks and then Gershwin kicking in and him saying, I love this city. Like, it's a weird love letter to the city. In a way, it's like Scorsese, I think anyway, making a movie about trying to save everyone in New York City. Maybe. You know, and and that in its own way is religious. Like that there is this element of being a savior, trying to, to, to do everything. I think that, I think all that stuff is is packed into this movie. I think that's why it's the opposite of Taxi Driver, which is why it's a weird right. comparison, right? Because right. Travis Bickle is spiraling out of control. So it's destructive. Yeah. And this guy, I mean, Frank Pierce, yeah. he's just dying to save somebody. Like, he's just like, hey, just one more. Yeah. Just let me save a life. Like, yeah. let me stop. Like, that's the whole movie. He's just like, how can I save another one? Why can't I save this one? And yeah. that inner turmoil. But it's a completely different arc. So it's a weird... It is. Yeah. It's also, it's sort of... Um, and this is sort of a callback, I guess, to, to your sports conversation earlier. But like, it's like the, sure. the guy who can't get yeah. a hit. You know what I mean? The the you just feel cursed, you know. And and I think I think Frank feels cursed in this movie. I think that he's, and I on some level I feel like he's moved past the curse. Like he's already decided. Like I don't know if I could save people anymore. Now he's just he's in a a, a deeper stage of that where he's past even trying to save people. He's just trying to maybe save himself. It's it's maybe I don't even know if he's trying to save himself. Yeah. I, like it's really hard to say. I agree. It's it's, but again, like Nicolas Cage is so good in this and shows up. I mean, it's Scorsese. Obviously, he did. But it's just it's 
there's a, there's a great quote here from uh, from another website, Little White Lies, that said, bringing out the dead's off-kilter narrative allows Cage to exaggerate certain aspects of his screen persona, but he also imbues Frank with a palpable tenderness, even when he's railing against the cynical situations he finds himself in. The film simply wouldn't work without the earnestness Cage brings to the part. Frank, much like the film itself, invites us to see past his tough exterior at the more hopeful qualities hidden within. And yeah. I, I don't know. I, no, they set that up, I think, from one of the earliest scenes, which is the Mr. Burke scene, when he meets Mary. I I mean, yeah. telling him to put on Sinatra, put on, put and it's not really for him, it's for the family. Yeah. So they, mm-hmm. Like, that they, that's reeling you in. So yeah. when you watch just the fucked up few days this guy has, that you don't yeah. kind of get bored with him or turn on him or lose him. You're kind of, you you're understand where he is. Totally. To a degree, yeah. at least where he starts. I mean, where he goes, like you were saying, <laughs> it's hard to judge what yeah. his real end goal is. I don't even know if he knows what it is at a certain point. He, but de- he definitely does not. No, yeah. He, this I think is, it's this literally not a man. just sleep. Like, he yeah. just... Some kind of. I don't even think he wants know. out of the job. Well, he said no. he does at some yeah. point well, say. He quits at one point, right? And then but, goes back. Yeah. And he says, to, it, you, to, to your point, he does at some point say, I just need a couple of quiet nights mm-hmm. followed, followed by, by a couple, couple days, of days of sleep. Yeah. Um, or a couple of days off is yeah. maybe is what he yeah. says. But that does, it does seem like in the, in the after hours kind of way. Yeah. This is just someone who's trying to survive the night. And in yeah. his case, three nights. It's just like, and look, well, yeah. we've all worked jobs. Where we're like, just get me to the weekend, yeah. you know? And it's just, it's not as traumatic as this, but it's just like, if I can, I, I'll just get to go in there, put my head down, do what I need to do. Just get me to the weekend. Well, it's interesting too, because in that scene with the captain, the captain says, you know, you took a couple of days off, you're claiming you're sick. Like he's quote unquote, getting the days off and it's still not doing the trick. Yeah. Like I think when That's he says it to too. himself, he's lying to himself. Like if I could just get a couple of days off, I'm sure I can be okay. But haven't you felt that too? Or you're sure, like really stressed sure. out and depressed and you get your couple of days off and you have to yeah. go back to work or go yeah. back to whatever's bothering you or bugging you. You're like, it was like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah. you're also making an illusion, at least Schrader maybe is to some degree, like the, the drug aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. How many people that have done drugs or are addicted to drugs that you hear like, no, it's I'm better on it. I do this. I like this. It makes me feel good. I hate it. Get me off of it. Like, you, you know what yeah. I mean? That fluctuation of, what this thing means to him and what kind of grapple hold it has on him and For sure. what he has on it and that sort of back and forth. When, so. And I think he's, I mean, to, to your uh, drug illusion, I do think he's addicted to this job. Yeah. I do think that he's addicted to, he's chasing something. Um, I mean, demons, what have you. I think that, yeah. I mean, Rose is obviously a personification of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's the case he can't shake. And I kind of love that it was just another case. Like there wasn't anything special about Rose. He just couldn't she, get it he right. Just yeah, he couldn't, couldn't get it. Well, he couldn't get it right. And also, like, why is why was this death the one that stuck with him? You know what I mean? Is it because he couldn't intubate her properly, and and you know the tube kept going into her stomach? I don't know. Well, I think but. that's part of it too, right? Is his character at least to some degree they establish that he's sort of like accustomed to this idea of we save people. Sure. So then when it goes that way with Rose. And he can't, there's no like discernible, like, well, why on yeah. this one that it was so routine yeah. or it should have been that I couldn't, it was, you know, going in the stomach, couldn't get the lung, sure. she yeah. died, whatever. And that's yeah. sort of how he starts to spiral. Cause I think the, the handle he had on what made sense or like the current sure. he was holding on to started to get really flimsy. And that's when he kind of, that makes and, sense. And I'll tell you weirdly, like that's more or less the only through line of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. The Rose stuff. Yeah. Um, and that is more than anything what has stuck with me this really? week. But I'd also say it's my least favorite part of the movie because yeah, there's, um, there's too much of it. It's it's if I have one big note, I don't it's believe that it. It's just too much of it. I just don't believe it. I don't believe that that's 
that that is what is on the present on this guy's mind, a long-term veteran in this field. He's in this neighborhood. He's probably seen countless young people die and feel like, if I had only done this, if I had only done that. And to have this one person literally haunt his every waking moment, it just felt like, to me, and and the way I've kind of been reading it, is it felt more representative of all the people he's missed on. Or at least that's the way I've taken it, because that's the thing I think an EMT in this neighborhood, this time period, uh, working this shift, would maybe be haunted by. I I kind of... That's really interesting, because... I don't necessarily think they need to be mutually exclusive. Um, I I took Rose as being the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where the, the sheer tonnage, the weight of all the deaths, the weight of all the, the saves that he couldn't make, and it breaks him. Now, that's an interpretation. I like what you just said, too, that she's she's the face of all of them. I think it's a little bit of both. It could be both. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I for I, me, and I, I, think, a, I think they're kind of similar points. Yes. There's a scene, there's yeah. a moment I think backs, that backs up. Uh, your point uh, in terms of it being all of them, which is when he goes on that drug trip and then he's pulling people out of the pavement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you start to get a a little bit more of a, it really is. It's incredibly haunting, but you start to get, at least for me, like into his psyche a little bit more. Like, yes, this Rose might've been the one that snapped him out, but also it's just one image of all of the souls he couldn't save sort of thing. But I don't know. I fall somewhere between both of those ideas, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think about it the, the way that you just, positive, but I, I do like that as well. I think that they can both work. Yeah. Um, but I still think my point still stands a little bit, which is that there's too much of her in it. Um, I, I, I do understand it, it just, it feels a little repetitive. And, and the I, moment when it really kind of hit me was when her face is on like all yeah, those people where I was just like, okay. But I <laughs> yeah, do think he does that a number of times. Yeah. Sorry, I do think kind of Stephen, to your point, um, and to this whole conversation, if Scorsese's trying to string something through that we're gonna recognize and um, latch onto, it makes sense to have this person's face over and over again. In a, in, in it's a it's a more visceral kind of feeling than, say, if he if he had some kind of motif where you just had different people's faces that he was hallucinating on, and you know we can come to the conclusion of oh, that somebody couldn't save that, somebody couldn't save it. There was such a device where that made sense. Um, but that might not have might not have had the emotional heft yeah. that the one young girl's face has. I don't know. Yeah, it's not. And I also wouldn't say maybe the whole thing isn't that obvious. Isn't that necessary because it's a little obvious? But I mean, it, it it's it it's definitely the the weakest part of the movie for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also sort of understand that the. the desire and the need to have some sort of rosebud, some sort of a thing that you can pull Frank through and have some element of catharsis at the end. So I sort of, I do understand that. For me though, the Mr. Burke is the stronger thread for me. And it's when, when he, I mean, we'll get into the plot, but what transpires at the end with Burke, that's, that's the moment of catharsis for me. Now, admittedly, I do think that those two things together in unison work really well. You know, him him essentially killing Burke um, or letting him die, I guess, is the, euthanizing him, letting him die peacefully. And then the scene with, I guess you'd say, Rose slash Mary at the door is sort of 
that's those two things in concert kind yeah. of give Frank what he needs. Um, but the Burke stuff was was far more effective for me. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, also it speaks at least for me. It spoke to his internal Conflict, internal struggle. Right? Yeah. yeah, Frank, because you're like, is he? He's imagining this, yeah. or, or maybe he's hearing some spirit speak to him. You know, tell him to take him out of this world. But at the same time, you're like, I don't know. It sounds like this guy wants sleep, and he yeah. thinks this old man who's been brought back a bunch also just wants sleep and. Well, it's a really also, kind of disturbing. It's very disturbing, especially when like, and and I think there's a lot of things that inform it. But when Mary says to him, "My dad didn't even like going to the dentist; he would hate having that tube in." Like that's one of those things that makes you go like, Ugh. and then like him fighting it and just seeing his eyes, and you're just like, you get it. Like you get why Frank has projected all of this onto this yeah. man. Um, yeah, the first thing the doctor says about Frank is he's plant food. Man. Yeah, I mean it really is. Uh, it, re- it really gets across this idea of like, what a horrible way to exist. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Um, the doctor, by the way, uh, Nestor Serrano, who's great in this, uh, was also in the Sleepy Hollow Pilot, and he was great in that too. Yeah, so just saying. Uh, he just has a great voice. He's yeah. just he just feels like a, he feels like a, he feels like a real guy. Well, I think that's something the movie does exceptionally well. Yes, There's all these little small parts, mm-hmm. character roles mm-hmm. in the hospital. Yeah. You know, or not grit, even in the hospital. Gris, even when you like got, that, yeah. don't make me take my sunglasses off. Like yeah. amazing. Yeah. That was it nurse Constance. Or I, I might be yes, getting a character yes. name, but where she's just yeah. basically like, so Berating you, everyone so you <laughs> overdose and you expect yeah. us to save you tomorrow. So why like, should why we you go to you? another city yeah. Yeah. and do it somewhere else? Like it's just like, <laughs> it's great. I think the, all the, the, the hospital stuff is, is fantastic. And we'll get into that in a little more detail, but, um, you know, even Michael K. Williams showing up. Oh yeah. Omar showing up. Um, just, yeah, it's just, there's lots of really interesting character actors that are, that are in this movie. Uh, I also love that the film is broken into, into a sort of a three act structure based on the three partners, yeah. which I think is great. That descent it's into madness, I think is fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I could talk about Robert Richardson's photography in this movie all there's day. a lot he does. Really it's well. so, I just can't. I don't have the words really to describe how beautiful I think this movie is. Like as someone who is, is sort of fascinated with paramedics, this movie just has this manic energy and Robert Richardson with these, the, the, the punch of the reds of the sirens, but also the hot lighting. So mm-hmm. everyone looks like they have angels on their shoulders yeah, the all the time. High beam. Yeah. yeah. We're just like, everyone just looks like there's this heavenly quality to everything. And yet it's sort of counterintuitive against how hellish the actual surroundings yeah. are makes perfect sense though right yeah, yeah. and sometimes yeah. it's worked in more practically as city lights and other, it's yeah. just in on different characters spotlighting yeah well, yeah a few it, of them it in is one scene for different reasons on ter- the terrestrial level it's red yeah yeah on the you know the the heavenly yeah. heavenly level it's white it's yeah. brilliant it's it's yeah. and really those are the only those Red, black, main... and white are the only colors in this movie. I read well, there's the too, blue but... of the aquarium, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like the only thing. Right? That's really kind of the only yeah. other punch of color. It's really like reds, right. blacks. It's like a whites. White Stars video. <laughs> it is. Um, I also, I mean, there's some shots in this. It's funny because when I, I watched half the movie with Mel, she watched like the first, I think, like half hour of okay. it or so, and then she had something to do, and then she kind of saw the end of it. But... Um, she was just like, how did that movie cost $55 million? Oh, and I was like, yeah, it's you can... all exteriors 
at night with like towing all of these ambulances around New York City. It's the model. The film too just changed so drastically. Like no filmmaker would get uh, seventy seventy five days of night shoots for this movie. Nobody, Which, by the way, you don't want to blow your brains out by the this, this 75 yeah. days 75, of night shoots? Yeah. You'd want to kill every yourself. Single night. <laughs> you don't the, even have to go method for that. The ambulance, <laughs> I think, was almost all process truck. They had I mean, it. Yeah, it was, yeah. No, it was being towed all That's what that I mean. They had a process yeah, truck. Yeah, yeah. And they actually had a track around it to do yeah. dolly moves while they were moving. It's like, insane. So like, if this was made today, a studio would be like, yeah, you get 19 days and yeah. everything with the ambulance is going to be green screen. Yeah. And that's why you don't get a movie like this today. <laughs> so it's also why, you know, this movie tanked. So there's that too. Yeah, it's I mean, a little it's bit. Like, uh, like, it's a hard to make the argument for it. From a financial it. standpoint, yeah. $55 million on this seems like quite the gamble. I mean, that's it, 80, it, 90 it, Yeah, or so. It, it could happen. It could happen. Depending on the filmmaker. Depending on Paul the filmmaker. Paul Thomas Anderson might be able to get exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Paul Thomas Select Anderson wanted... Group. Yes. And I would argue... I mean, I don't need to make the argument. You guys agree. Scorsese gets... Scorsese. Scorsese in 1999. Now, granted, he was a little cold at this time. Yeah. It, you he know, he he made Casino 95. Yeah. yeah. He made Kundun. Yeah. Kundun? That was right before. In 97. Yeah. yeah. And that, like, that's its own kind of weird thing. And that, like, you know, honestly, I don't think enough people saw it to really... Hate judge him, it one way or the other. Yeah. Judge it, but it, just, it it had this bad taste. It like it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. I think when someone makes a film that's like almost um, purpose purposefully alienating, mm-hmm. and uh, then the but, next thing he did was this. So, and this feels like on paper a return to form, right? This is like this, this is, is a return to form. I, 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 I think it I is. I know I can't blame I, anybody for giving him the money. It checks all the Scorsese boxes that everyone thinks it's going to do. Plus, right? it came from a novel, and it was a right, not a novel. It's really, well, it's a memoir. Memoir, yeah. and it was a popular memoir. So. It was. But that's the thing. The '90s are crazy for him. Like I'm just yeah, looking at like '90. 90- 90 was Goodfellas, 91 was Cape Fear, 93 Age of Innocence, 95. I mean, like. Yeah, it's crazy. You go down the What a run. It's crazy yeah. that he's, like you said, like a little bit, yeah. like, you know, he, at that he, point. He's only a little cold for, for two kind of silly reasons. Kundun was just kind of a weird failure-ish thing, and he only made one movie in the last four years. Right. People, you know, things had gotten so fucking hot in Hollywood with the new group, with these new rebels, with the. Paul Thomas Anderson's with the Coen brothers, the Tarantinos, exactly. Well, that's that new wave of filmmakers now that get the kind of rope the to guys do interesting about. artistic exactly. things. Because, they, yeah, that was when they were beginning established. So they all, so. they, the Wes Anderson, they all kind of came up right then, and there was this new exciting thing. And I think people really did kind of forget about Martin Scorsese for a while. But I, I would agree with you. But I, think, I get Paramount giving him $55 million. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, it's interesting because we were talking about Spielberg and Scorsese earlier. I think there's a period of Spielberg's career like that where people kind of just take his work for granted uh, to some degree. You know what I mean? Like some of his movies just no kind of went by because other filmmakers were doing things that were maybe at the time far more interesting to audiences for whatever reason. When would or, you say that was? Oh, I don't know. We shouldn't get into this. It's a longer <laughs> conversation. <laughs> well, so, so I worked at Amblin. I love Steven Spielberg. Uh, so <laughs> I'm trying. Full, I'm full just, disclosure. Well, yeah. no, I'm trying to figure it out because well, I think what's also interesting and worth and and sort of folds into what you because I just looked up Scorsese on Box Office Mojo just to see sort of what successes he's had or or how he keeps getting. Basically, a series of blank checks for all intents and purposes, right? I mean, he gets to do the Kunduns when he wants, but like Age of Innocence is a big swing. He comes off of Cape Fear, which was a really big hit for him, his biggest hit up until that point. Well, you can track when he gets to do the movies that are probably ones that people don't necessarily <laughs> want him to do, but he wants to do. The Silences, the Hugos. Silence was a long time coming. But Hugo, I think he thought was going to be a hit, and it kind of was. But I mean, I, 
Yeah. Was, what was after it? hours was that's an example though of him like not he had like five million for that movie but adjusted like for inflation his number one successful movie is Kenny's favorite film of all time which is The Departed yes um, <laughs> he just, uh, he followed, just nodded emphatically followed yes. by Cape Fear <laughs> <laughs> followed by Cape Fear Shutter Island Aviator Wolf of Wall Street now four of those movies have one actor in common so clearly that's his movies true. with Leo. Make money, so yeah. There's that. Also, that's amazing that 1991 Cape Fear can can ride with those guys. Right? That's amazing. <laughs> um, so it's it is interesting. And then you've got Color of Money, Taxi Driver. That oh, Color of yeah. Money. Yeah. That was his fallow period, by the way. The even though the uh, 80s. the the Color of yeah. Money era, even though like those those are some movies. I don't mean those are some movies. Um, <laughs> I think if you look at well, I'm not really even. I thought it was. I thought that the 80s, he kind of like had lost well, 80s it. 80s is Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours, Color bad, of Money. You know, it's one badish movie. Yeah. And the badish movie's Color of Money. And yeah. it's not that bad. And it won a fucking Oscar for Paul Newman. So he's never had a bad period. He really hasn't had a. I mean, here's the other thing, too. Like, we're going to do our top five, top eight, right. top 10, whatever it's going to be. And we're all going to basically come to the same conclusion, which is that Scorsese hasn't made a bad movie. Like an, an overtly bad movie, other than Departed. Forget it. Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> you were like, well, yeah. Well, I know so, you agree with me. So, so. <laughs> just, just, but to recap, Kenny loves the Departed. <laughs> just and, and Phil, recap. And Phil loves so funny. the Terminal. Oh, on the on on the live podcast uh, we just did, my friend Chuck was on, and he was trying to get it. He was, he was kept pushing out this idea that I love Forrest Gump. <laughs> Um, and now Phil's trying to push out this idea that I, I love Departed. I don't love I'm not. He is. Oh, no. I, 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 I just anarchy right now. I like, uh, I like Forrest Gump I like significantly it more than The Departed. So that gives yeah, you an idea of how much I like The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, I mean, I, I, the reason I, I say that is because he's a fucking master. Like, he's just a guy who, even when he's doing you know, a genre piece that in my opinion doesn't really work. Like the departed is, I think it's fine. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think it certainly should not be the film that he won an Academy award for. Oh, well we could have that whole conversation. We we should have, we should have the conversation because he is, should have gotten it. He's the guy. I'm going to pull those. I'm going to pull those. You should pull them up. I'm going to pull those up and we can see the, what beat him and which ones he he actually should do it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's, he was, the outlier for the longest time. He was the guy that everyone was like, when are you going to give this guy an Academy Award? Or yeah. like, it's crazy. And because like Spielberg was that for a while. And then he crossed the Rubicon in 93 with arguably one of the greatest double punches, two punch yeah. movie releases ever. I mean, look, ever. Scorsese's not alone with it taking a while. I mean, there's a lot of, it's kind yeah. of insane when you go down the list of just the best. Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson. He, he, did Stanley Kubrick ever? I don't think nope. Stanley Kubrick never nope. won either. Hitchcock didn't? Altman never won? No. Nope. Hitchcock, uh, Rebecca won, but I don't think he won. Yeah, right? he didn't. And Nolan still hasn't won. I mean, Lynch. About, yeah. I so, mean, like, the, you the know, list is long. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, the list is long of, of mediocre like, whatever, filmmakers. Whatever, but also, <laughs> like, there's there are a few of those guys, Scorsese being chief among them, Lynch being not among them at all, who make Oscar movies, yeah. who make movies the, that like yeah. the kind of shit that, that wins best picture. Like God bless for, Francis, you know, Ford Coppola. And I love those two movies with all my heart. Of course. I mean, though he didn't win for Godfather. He only won for Godfather too. Um, but he won for Godfather. I no. think he won. Didn't he like clean up with both Ca- of those? Cabaret. 
Oh, you're right. You're right. Wow. Cabaret won Best Director. Um, That's crazy. Well, I think it was well, awesome, he's got right? Coppola's yeah. got one of the best tenure periods of any filmmaker. So, and, and then he just he, he, totally, yeah. totally. But you know, if you're gonna, Rob Reiner, you're giving me. Oh, that dude, <laughs> Rob fact Reiner. The, fact that Reiner doesn't have an Oscar. <laughs> I mean, I just I, I don't even know what to do with it. But Rob no, Reiner it, friends for Coppola. They, they, <laughs> Movies like Goodfellas, movies like Taxi Driver, movies like Raging Bull yeah. have won Best Director and Best Picture so many times that it it's kind of galling that he didn't win. Yeah, it's true. Until, it's weird. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know how they make. I, like, like, I don't. It's like I, can't, I don't even know how to unwrap those decisions. But it almost feels like sometimes they recognize a filmmaker is so good that they're like, oh yeah, he's going to do this every two years, so he'll, he'll get one. He'll be fine. I mean, but then Which you have a not moment. Fair, but, no, you, you know, have one whatever. of my favorite moments uh, at the Oscars, which is Can Ron. You believe they didn't let the palm up there. Uh, are you are you saying I, what I'm thinking? No, oh, okay, good, God, but I that oh, when I they know all when they gave. Yeah. It was, By the way, it was, how it would, amazing would, would it have been, been if he didn't win? If it was just somebody else, and then it just cuts to Marty, they're like. Meh. Well, that's why I'm like, sort the whole thing's fucking one. fixed and they would never, those three guys would never have got up there if they didn't know that he was totally. Going. But that being said, I, I, the moment that I was going to refer to was Ron Howard wins best director for A Beautiful, Beautiful Mind. Mind. Uh-huh. They cut to the audience and David Lynch has got up from his chair. He's walked over to Robert Altman and the two of them just have their arms around each other. And oh, I'm really? like, there are two filmmakers. You're kidding. Are, and I love Ron I've Howard. I've never seen that clip. But those are, back those two that. guys are 10 times the filmmaker that, you know. Do you know, you know the Ron other Howard. two that were nominated this year? That's an amazing fivesome. 2001. It's... All right. So you got three of them already. You got Altman, you got Lynch, Lynch. and you got Ron Howard. Oh, shit. Was it like Damien Chazelle when he was still in the womb? Who was it? Two other Oscar winners for Best Director. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, you have to tell me. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think of the best picture. Uh, that was the year of Lost in Translation. Or no, that was was that 2000? I don't think so because she's not nominated. Well, she wasn't nominated. She for was best nominated director. for best director. She was nominated for oh, screenplay. Maybe, maybe it was. Uh, yeah, that was the year of Fellowship of the Ring. So Peter Jackson, correct? Oh. And they is got, it? They got him back on the third one of that series. So he's all good. Yes, is they it, did. Is it Doldry? No. No. For the hours? No. It's this. This. It's truly like. One of the master, master, masters who I think like when he dies, people will be like, one of the masters. But weirdly, like, doesn't get put in that conversation that much. I don't know, man. Ridley Scott. Oh, yeah. oh for uh, Black Hawk Down. Yes. Right. That was why. And, and there were people that were saying he shouldn't have been nominated, but Sofia Coppola should have been. No. Because Lost in Translation got a Best Picture nomination. And it's not a great movie, Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down, it's a, it's a, it's a very well 
technically directed film. So it's funny how often it's the lamest movie that wins Best Director. The Beautiful Mind, Gosford Park, Lord of the Rings. I know. Mulholland Jive, Black Hawk Down, and Lost in Translation somewhere else, and the most, like, the lamest one of those like, movies. Oh, yeah, this gives you a beautiful mind. Yeah, because, yeah, right. you know, because Mulholland Drive shouldn't have won Best Director or I mean, Oscar Park. Yeah, and then there's how much of that is obviously campaigning for it, and there's so many other factors that and listen, we, I, I don't want to think well, about. Well, the truth is possible. that yeah. if, you know, if we had, and by we, none of us at this table can vote, uh, but... Yet. Yeah, yet. Not, but had, had yet. Ron Howard won for Apollo 13 when he should have won... 95? Ah, uh, maybe... I mean, because I, I don't. I'm not the biggest Braveheart fan. I think it's. I think it's a good movie, but it's not the greatest movie in the world. If he wins for that, you know, who knows what the trajectory of his career is after that? I want to throw out one more thing. Yeah, yeah. If he, if Scorsese loses for The Departed, like he should have, um, what <laughs> to movie, whom? I don't remember what was nominated yeah. that year, but literally any other movie. <laughs> ever made. Um, what what movie yeah. would he have eventually won this Oscar for? Since Departed? Is that what you're asking? Probably, probably. You mean like what year would they have just thrown their hands and been like, it's got to be this year? Like they did with it. I want to say Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, probably Wolf of Wall Street. 100% Wolf of Wall Street. We're all in agreement. All right, moving on. (laughs) Um, So I think this, to get back to this movie, uh, I think one of the, the, the things this movie does really well is conveying how, I mean, it hasn't gotten tremendously better, but seriously problematic the healthcare system was in the early 90s and how many people were being let down by it. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't tens of millions of people being let down by it today. But it was just this hospital, this county hospital that is that feels like some sort of a way station between hell and heaven and I don't know what, like some sort of afterlife between this world and be, between this world and the per, next. Perpetual mercy and they called it misery. Yeah. 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 It's and I love that's that about so this hospital. Like, I, I, I love how, and this might sound morbid, but like how ghoulish it is in its own way. It's very sort of, it's gothic and it, you don't want to be there. No one wants no to way. be there. It's, it's a nightmare. That's it's like, a nightmare. It's, that's, that's Hell's Waiting Room. That's it's, a nightmare. It, right? It feels yeah. like, it, it almost feels Gilliam-esque in it's like, you don't want to be here, get out. Uh, and I think it's fantastic. I, I think it does so much to to because every time they come back to this hospital, you're like, no, don't go back in there. Like, don't take a patient in there. Like, no one wants to be there. Um, I also think just to get back to sort of the Scorsese of it all, but like, I don't think anyone does extreme close-ups as good as Scorsese does. I think his punch of his there's the way that the camera moves through his close-ups, like when they have that close-up of the of the vial of this red death stuff that everyone is, and, and everything is just or just the when they when they light up the torch. To uh, to weld through the the fence that Sai is on, yeah, and the way I, I just I can't even like articulate the sequence of events that happen just in terms of lighting the torch, moving it over there, and it's done just like a ballet. Yeah, it's the, I mean the editing in his movies are a big part of that. I think with, it's amazing with, with how the shots come in. I, I know which shot you're talking about with the Red Death. It's in the hospital, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was watching that, and that's one of the best inserts. And I, it doesn't even feel like there's continuity where his hands sticking out. Yeah, and then it just cuts to this angle and shows it. And that's the thing with that's Scorsese that goes back to the story and plot stuff and character. And it's like he's really interested in just mainlining the feeling yes. of the characters, like just getting that into your brain and then hopefully fucking you up with it a little bit. Like it's, that's, it's phenomenal. The, another movie that came to mind watching this was the 25th hour. Oh, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Very the, the Spike Lee movie. But yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like both of them sort of about a city they love 
getting away from them. Totally. You know, and can it be saved? Which I think is interesting. Also, I'd say that aesthetically, they had a similar um, mm-hmm. um, palette. Yeah, so. yeah, I think uh, I think it's a really good comparison. I think Twenty Fifth Hour is both worse and better than this movie. <laughs> I I yeah. think like I do. I think uh, it's one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. It's it's playing at a. It's not quite playing at the level this movie's playing at. Uh, thematically or, or, or symbolism wise or anything like that. Um, but I like a good narrative. <laughs> so, and, and it does deliver that. It, it does. I mean, it's, it's Benioff, you know, adapting yeah. his own book. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those, it is one of those movies that it's a really haunting movie. I, and I still think, I mean, not a ton of great movies written about September 11th, but it's probably, I think, the best movie about it because it's obliquely about it. It's not about it. Well, the it. book wasn't about it. They they, right. they added all that stuff mm-hmm. in after. And um, it just makes it so – Incredibly powerful. I mean, it's incredibly profound. That scene, I mean, him you, living across the – when they look out his uh, – Yeah, well, they're, they're re- rebuilding and him, it. And that's and the real stuff. It, and they're just – it's. I mean, you know, because you're from New York. You mm-hmm. actually – you know, I was in Philly at the time. You were in New York at the time. Oh, yeah. Your dad – my dad was in the city. Yeah. Worked in the city Midtown, at the time. Though, luckily, it's uh, it, it it did it did create this weird this weird city of survivors. You know, yeah, this the whole, weird, we lived the whole through this shit of it, like the city and the suburbs outside of the city, and all everything that thing changed. Yeah, for, for sure. years, for five, six, seven years, yeah, everything very was palpable changed. difference. Yeah, for sure. I can't remember when it kind of. I, I think uh, I don't know. So, sometime in the, in the late two thousands, I think the city kind of turned a corner, but um, and it got kind of like the sun came out again. But it took a long yeah. fucking time. Well, that's why. I mean, I, I think that that this movie, that Bring Out the Dead, really couldn't. I don't want to say couldn't, but it wouldn't be the movie it is if it took place in a post nine eleven New York. Um, it's just a very different. It's, it's a totally yeah. different, but it's also even just like a post Giuliani New York. Like I, I just I, do you know what I mean? Like I, the fact that this yes. movie exists in that yes, sort I know of what you mean. in a New York that is teeming. Well, that you know? is the big difference between the early '90s and, and right. 1999. Right. Yeah. You know, for better or worse, Giuliani did enact certain things yep. um, that changed the city. Yep. And. I don't really want to. I don't really want to. Fuck. You don't want to talk about Rudy Giuliani. I just don't want to. Say, I don't want to say anything good about him because I, I think. <laughs> well, I think what yeah. he did. I think what he did was really bad. Um, but I did think it made the city Cleaner. more livable sure. for people at a certain yeah. socioeconomic status. Right. Um, and part of that was cleaning up Manhattan through any means necessary. Right. Depending so, on your vantage point in the city, sure. I think right. you have varying de- opinions of. How what? they went about it. Well, yeah. well they're ba- yeah. basically like this stuff wouldn't exist in a post-Giuliani New York, but that's because all these people were dumped into the Bronx yeah. or dumped into Jersey. Um, You're just displaced. Basically. Just kicked out. Uh, basically, homelessness was outlawed in the city more or less. So like, yeah, like it was good, I guess, if you're a monster who lives in the Manhattan. But um, yeah, you're right. The, 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 it would have okay. been a very different movie. I don't even know what it would have been. But then, if after nine eleven, it becomes kind of like rescue me, right? Right, right, right. right. Which that's interesting. Yeah, it changes the perception of like yeah. being an EMT. You know, you're you're well, all, you're yeah. all of a sudden a hero. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like you had to go through some horrible trauma, and now you're like fucking war veteran. It's crazy. Yeah, it's 
pretty nuts. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about the plot? What huh? plot? Hour and 12 minutes in? Uh, it feels about right. What's feels the plot? Like, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, the story. What happens in this yeah, movie? Yeah, what happens in this movie? Uh, it opens with uh, Van Morrison's TV sheets, which is played a lot in this movie. Um, some might say too much. I don't know. I, I, it didn't bother me as much on this watch. I've watched it a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't hear that song anymore. But it actually didn't bother me on this one. Don't know how you guys felt about TV sheets. Hmm. Not even that specific. Uh, just the music in general was just yeah. a little bit different for Scorsese with this film. It still uses it super yeah. effectively. But that's something when I, I rewatched it today and I was like, oh, it's just interesting. It's music interesting. And the Elmer Bernstein score, right. which is, you know, obviously great. Uh, so the movie opens with Van Morrison's TV sheets while Frank drives an ambulance with Larry, his partner, John Goodman. Um, I love that Scorsese is the voice of the, of the dispatcher. It's the best. Yeah. It's literally a strike. It is a strike of genius that he is the voice. Um, they arrive in an apartment of Mr. Burke, who's had a heart attack. His daughter is Patricia Arquette. Um, one of the things that, first of all, I love John Goodman saying, why is it always the top floor? Um, and him just floor walk up in hell's kitchen (laughs) and him just sweating and just thinking like John Goodman's going to keel over. Oh, totally. I mean, uh, it's not a good John Goodman performance unless you think he's going to die. Yeah. And they also, (laughs) I mean, Scorsese punctuates that. I think the camera, doesn't the camera push past them and go, you see the staircase and you're just like, Oh fuck that. And then it turns around to them and you're like, yeah, this is already miserable. I don't want to. Just like when they get there and they get Mr. Burke on the ground and, I mean, John Goodman is dripping with sweat and breathing heavy. And truthfully, the only thing you can hear in this scene is his breathing and the sound of tubes connecting and just the silence, the eeriness of of the apartment. And the son says something when they walk in where he says he was crying. I never heard him cry before. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping you'd bring that up. It's just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's really... It's really powerful shit. Um, set us such an aside, too. It's, it's, I don't even think he's on camera when he says no, it. No, he's definitely not on camera. Yeah. yeah, but just the way he says it. Yeah. It's, and, it's and, and what he's showing you. Like you said, it's Goodman. It's the tubes. It's like, you're not focused on that at all, but it just pings. It does. Yeah. It's just, and, and it's also, this is kind of the first, I mean, it's the first scene of the movie, but it's the first time that we're really getting a sense of the visuals of this movie, what it's going to look like, these hot lighting, you know, of, of mm-hmm. Robert Richardson. That one aerial shot, that one overhead shot of when they shock him, it's, I mean, it's amazing stuff. Uh, I love that Mary's roots are showing in her hair which I feel like just yeah, yeah. speaks about her character. Yeah. You know, that idea that it's just, you know, anyway. Uh, I also really love the shot and the voiceover of Frank talking about all the, the family photos and just thinking about how many homes they're in and of complete strangers and what they're gleaning about these mm-hmm. people from the things in their houses. You know, you have to feel like such an intruder in that situation. And yet at the same time, you... I mean, you're there to hopefully save a life. I don't know. It's it's a very conflicting and interesting moment. Um, Frank gets a heartbeat from Mr. Burke, but he's been down for a long time and he knows it. And Mary says, is he going to be okay? And Frank says his heart is beating, which is a non-answer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a movie filled with that kind of stuff. God, I'd be so bad as an EMT. <laughs> that's like such a – I mean, this is obviously a script, but like that's yeah. such a solid answer. I would be like mm. – <laughs> 
You're like, sorry, what was that? <laughs> Maybe. Um, I really love Frank putting on the sirens for the family. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The shot of the car in the, yeah, in in mirror. the river mirror. And, and then he tells and him why he puts it turn, on. And it's it's so just, good. He doesn't even ask him. It's just literally a shot of Goodman in the rearview mirror when he turns around when the sirens come on. I don't on. think Goodman even says anything he back doesn't. to him, right? And, yeah, and, and that's a, when yeah. Frank says, it's for the family. He knows. Yeah, he's like, we've done this. I, I guess, it's just like, oh I know. He's, he is such a decent guy. He is? Which is so, to me, unscorsese. Right? Yes. I can't think of another... Yeah, I was just doing that. I was like, what decent guys in Scorsese movie? Go back. Come on, yeah, figure well, it out. Oh, <laughs> There's got to be one. Here, Jesus <laughs> in The Last Temptation of Christ. Jesus was decent. <laughs> um, de- at, at best. But, uh, <laughs> wow. No, I, can't, I can't think I of... Go all uh, of our listeners. Yeah, I'm kidding. All of that them, guy's yeah. life. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> There's a story. I know. Yeah. He accomplished it all by like, what, 33? Yeah. I mean, <sighs> Overachiever. Um, I can't think of any other... Scorsese protagonists who are this pure. No, yeah. I guess Shutter Island, he's not a bad guy. Well, he is he's other crazy, issues. though. Yeah. He's crazy, but... Yeah. It's, it's kind of even hard to understand it's, what he is. I, that's the closest I could... Well, there's other ones I'm sure I'm not thinking of, but yeah. yeah. There, I mean, I mean, I mean honestly, The Departed, he actually really isn't a... Hugo's a good guy. Hugh, yeah, Hugh, yeah, 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 I guess. A child. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't a chance to fuck it up yet. He's a child, I mean... Um, <laughs> uh, so Frank goes to the hospital um, meets Noel played by Mark Anthony uh, who's by the way I did not even realize that was. I Mark. didn't either until yeah. the credits I, really? I knew Mark Anthony yeah. was in the movie like prior well, that, to watching that wig it. is rough but then I watched it and then it ended and I was looking at the credits again and I was like hey Mark Anthony's in this movie like, who is he I and I was like the- oh wait that guy, no. Apparently, him and Tom Sizemore almost came to Dude, blows. Yeah. Well, but like, what like, movie did Tom Sizemore work on and not almost get into a fight with somebody else? I mean, this is prime Tom Sizemore in potentially his doing And also the phase. scenes that they're doing together in this yeah, movie. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. It's like, like well, he moves like a rat. <laughs> you know, there's... <laughs> covered in blood, baseball bats, He runs like a rat. Stuff. <laughs> but it's, it's a movie like this. It's funny because Sizemore has kind of become oh like the, the, the cut, cut, cut rate Nicolas Cage and that Nicolas Cage does all these crazy ass directed DVD mm. movies and Sizemore does like the crazier ass directed <laughs> DVD movies. But it's a movie like this where you do kind of understand oh. why Scorsese casts him, yes. why Spielberg casts yeah. him, why he got right. Sorry, Sam Private Ryan. Ryan. Why he? Why he was in all? The, I mean, why you know Tony Scott cast him in yeah. Romance and in the right roles. He's the best in the right roles. He's the best. He in has the right his. roles. There's o- there there are roles only Sizemore can do. Yes, I mean you know I mean in I fucking love True Romance. It really is one of my like, three favorite movies, and it's him and Chris Penn. So yes. like. Chris yeah. Penn could also do the, that stuff, yeah. but not anymore. This Forever Clarence season. gets fucking crazy. I love this yeah, kid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just that quality with Sizemore where like, it's just at a certain point, you're like, he, he doesn't even have lines. He's just making this up, He's right? Doing, like, yeah. It just feels yeah. that way. Well, we saw him in play. It does. We saw him in play it to the bone also. We did see him in play also, it to the bone. Also, like, you know, if you want to like a Sizemore performance, um, it's there. It's there in play it to the bone, too. Like, he never sure. stops being him. I... I I mean, I yet still an, think yet he another has... weird casualty of '99. Like, I wouldn't mind if like Sizemore <laughs> yeah. just figured it out and came back and like I would Sizemore too. shit. I'd love to know? see him come back. Yeah. He has a way of delivering lines to your point that feel like he's making it up. When I don't think he, I mean, no, yeah. One of my favorite line readings to the delivery, like you're just like, yeah, that's what that yeah. guy's gonna say. He said it. Yeah, can With you complete think of conviction? A, can you think of anything fucking scarier than being 
in an ambulance with Tom Sizemore <laughs> at night on the third fucking straight day. I mean, oh that's God. so perfect. I, I was know. on a boat. He's the perfect person to be. Dude, literally, when he just gets pa- when Frank Pierce gets paired with him again. That's what I mean. There's just like, a sense of you're, you're like, oh yeah. no, that's I can't. This is the last person you should be hit, with right they now. Dad, it before what a nightmare. Yeah. but as an audience member, I was on a boat very recently. Small boat, six people. I was with somebody who scares me. <laughs> and he said, and I've known him for a very long time. And he said, and it was 6 a.m. and we were all very tired. I don't drink. I'm not hungover, but I'm very tired and everyone else is hungover. And he came up to me and he goes, you're about to find out what hell really feels like. And I was so scared <laughs> going on the boat with this guy. Why did you do it? I didn't have a choice. Wait, so he said this. So he said this right before he got on the boat. We were on the boat. You're on the boat. On the boat. You're about to find out what hell feels like. Was he right? How far offshore were you? (laughs) Not offshore. Okay, so I would have been back on land in a second. I was in Mexico. I Uh, I I I went I went to the the cabin area, and I went to bed and prayed that no one would fuck with me, and no one did. And I slept through most of it. But like, maybe that. Ooh, that that he got in your head though. Yo. I think that was his entertainment for the night. He's like, all I got to do is say this, ruin his night. little fucking freak. It fucking worked. I was so freaked. And that's how- He sizemored you. He sizemored me. It it felt like a sizemore situation. So speaking of his line delivery, he has a line that, I mean, it's terrible, but it also makes me laugh uh, just because of the way he says it. When When he's cornered Noel in the ambulance- and he says, I'm going to teach you the first rule of being American. It's called eating my shit. <laughs> and you're just like, you're a fucking lunatic. Make America you're a great terrible again. person and you're awful. And at the same time, I, he is he, – there is something magnetic about Tom Sizemore. Mm-hmm. And he is the perfect person to push Frank to the brink of madness. Yeah. Uh, Michael K. Williams shows up. Um, I also love that Frank tries to have like a totally normal conversation with Mary with his face just splattered with blood from, mm-hmm. from Noel. That, that actually really grossed me out. Uh, when he, when he was covered, like when a, he was covered in yeah. blood and he shook his head. Do you remember this, Kenny? Doesn't he just yeah. say, doesn't he just go, I got you. It's like when he gets great. blood on him. so fucking like, gross. Yeah. And he like slams his face against the, it's just, he, that really, anyway. Uh, end of the shift, Larry drops off Frank doesn't even look at him, doesn't even speak to him. You just see him get out of the car, shut the door, and then he just peels <laughs> off. So good. He's, I mean, John Goodman, is this the least John Goodman-esque performance? I guess. Because he, he seems- John Goodman. Yeah, I thought he does was. It? No, he yeah. seems like a jerk. Yeah, but he's funny, and he's like, just, he's just talking about sweaty. the food he wants to eat. I guess and that's like, true. And he's some, a, he's yeah. kind of having a blast, but not. And someday well, he's going to have his own and thing. And also, wait, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, too, he's the one after, he's like cleaning out the ambulance and he yes. just goes, I'm, like, I'm, shit. I'm, I'm done. done. I'm done. He's, I was like, that's very yeah. good, man. He's that's true. like, I take it back. And, and like necessarily, he's the only one you'd ever even remotely want to be in an ambulance with. Like out of the three. Oh, for the entertainment true. value. The Ving stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, Ving's, if, Ving's you, so if, if you can, if you're going to do that job, you can, he seems like a guy that's like, yeah, let's see what happens yeah. tonight. If you can stomach Ving's shit, and I don't think I could. <laughs> It might be fun. You didn't but like him talking you, Queen about La- God. Queen Latifah. Oh my God, over yeah, there's Queen Latifah on the yeah, phone. Yeah. I love that. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there for you, baby. Yeah. So. No, he's Ving is. Just, I, just, I, yeah, I, I'm just getting in a car I accident. Love Ving Rams and always have. He's so. he. This is one of his best performances, if you ask yeah. me. He just 
choose the scenery with it's this. It's amazing it's he just shows up now every few years just to be a Mission Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible. <laughs> and that's like the only time we see yeah. this guy. I'm waiting for them to just start calling him Ving in those movies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> seriously. It's like, oh. It's such a great word. It just becomes that. Um, that's what, that is, to me, though, like one of the best parts of this movie is the, the three partners he has. Like the I casting know. of that, too, is it's perfect. perfect. It's just so spot on to achieve what he needs from those sections. I, it's it fantastic. really is. In like, a very scary way. It's just pitch perfect. Like, it, there's it, no part you, of it. You really work. should like should, should spend half a second on that because none of those three guys <laughs> are safe choices to do no. anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. they they've all like had massive missteps, you know, uh with 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 their characterization in certain roles. And they're all so awesome. Yeah. When they knock it out, all of the park. fantastic. I just say, yeah, it feels like Scorsese probably from the book and then the Schrader script just had a complete handle on mm-hmm. what he needed from those performances. It just feels that way with I, every I single agree. role. I, I agree, top to bottom. Yeah. I don't feel like there's a false note in any of the performances yeah. in this movie. And I mean, that says something. You've got people in here. I mean, you have Mark Anthony, who's not like an he's that an actor. A, that's a crazy piece but of casting. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, no, that's a very crazy piece of casting. It is. Know. And like uh, Cliff Curtis, who's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this movie is just is just really um, nailing it. So now we have the scene with, and I love this scene with Frank and the captain, as I mentioned earlier. Tonally, I feel like it encapsulates the movie in so many ways. Like Frank's desperation mixed with the absurdity of his situation. It's just like that's. The movie. Yeah. Um, I love that guy so much. He's so great. I'll fight tomorrow. It's fantastic. Um, (laughs) It's just the best. Uh, So Frank is then partnered with Marcus, played by Ving Rhames, uh, for The Shift. Marcus has a great line where he says, you ever notice how people who see shit are always crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Which is fantastic. Um, He's the perfect middle act in terms of He's he's amped and he's clearly a little bit out of his mind, but he's also kind of funny and he's playful about it. So you're not really and like Frank's getting a kick out of him. Mm-hmm. The way he talks to uh, what is her name? What love? Right? Yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. is just Queen he, Latifah, yeah. he just loves it. Um, <laughs> it's just great. Um, so Frank and Marcus are called to a drug overdose at a club. And club scenes, generally speaking, I don't think look great. I actually think he did a good job on this one. It actually feels like a club. It's Dante again. That's the. It's true. I mean, it's, like, it's true. It's true. He really Ming Rhames just looking at his filmography in the nineties. Yeah. Did some really fucking cool shit. I mean, out of sight. Out of sight. Yeah. Pulp Fiction, Mission Impossible, which I hate, but a lot of people like. All um, of the he hates all of the Mission Impossible movies. I do. I hate all them. of them. Yeah. Um, though I, I I've actually never like. I hate one and two, and the most recent one so much. I've never I've seen the Brad Bird one. You haven't seen I the Brad Bird which one. Which I probably should watch. But you never I saw a, the JJ one? I've never seen the JJ one. Never seen three or never four. Never seen three or four. Which, make, which I understand. Can I make people, a prediction based on what you've said about the other ones? <laughs> sure. You won't like, like them. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Just I will. Yes. It still stars Tom Cruise. There's still big stunts. And it's this and, is what Kenny really yeah. doesn't like about it. Go for it. I'm excited. Foreign locations. People doing spy stuff in foreign locations. But honestly, why does tradecraft become more co- like like I don't believe it in a foreign country? No, like what happens? He just, just doesn't the, like spycraft overseas. I don't like spycraft. Period. Okay, I find it I find it very tedious and very boring. But um, there's something about that plus what I consider to be like 
I feel like maybe you might like three and four then, because I feel like those are the ones that go a little lighter on that stuff, the minutia. Mm, you might well, like four look, I like for the JJ spectacle. and I like Brad Bird, so maybe I'd like them, but you I'm not going like- to spend time on them, though. That said, I'm literally carving out time for Tomorrowland. It's all I'm thinking about is when I'm going to watch this Because really? of the Blink Check episode? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I'm not even listening to the one on, what was it, Ghost Protocol or whatever? Listen, I'll did. just cut you a reel of just Tom Cruise running from three and four. That's right. And anything that blows up. Oh, by the way. Four is, I don't know, Ghost Protocol is, the spectacle of it is pretty impressive. That was his, right? Ghost Protocol. And then was three just called three? Rogue Nation. Oh, yeah. Oh, three was just called three. Mission Impossible three. Five oh, oh, Rogue Nation was so boring. I couldn't, I, I I can't believe the reviews it got. Everyone I know like loved this movie. I'm just like, it's really interesting to me. Oh, this, just, this and cheese are the two things with Kenny I that, I, that I'm so strange. And I Kenny, hate Mission Impossible. He does his own stunts. Did you know that? Even the one off the plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I actually didn't in the moment hate too. So that's what I'm gonna do. Wow. Okay. Uh, moving well, on. Well, I just let's, like John Woo so much, and I just back, I, his shit is so for me. His like shit is just. Wait, so, did like, you just say I liked I liked Mission Impossible two sort of because John Ru- shit Woo is makes so shit for me. me. That's right. Like yeah, I, okay, love, I, just be I love clear. Yeah. I love slow mo. Uh, I love the dripping melodrama. So you love doves. I I, well, so I love many doves, doves. In, a, in a John Woo movie. Like I love that. I love Face doves in a John Woo so movie. much. Um, I really hate Mission Impossible two for all the obvious reasons, but like the way he does it isn't as pretentious as the way the other ones do it. But, okay. Um, back to the club in Bringing Out the Dead. Yes. Uh, so I don't even know how the fuck we got to Mission Impossible. The club in Rogue Nation? We're in the Is club in Rogue Nation? Yeah, we're in the club in Rogue Nation. We're in the club in Fallout, I actually. I think there's a club isn't in there each just, one. Isn't there just like a yeah. parking garage the entire movie? Doesn't the whole uh, movie take place in a parking garage? We're going, we're, uh, Phil's going to kill As far as I remember, parking garage and an opera. That's all I remember from that. And the plane... And uh, I do really like that girl. She's great. Rebecca Ferguson. So Frank pretty. and Marcus con these kids into trying to get intel from them uh, about their friend who they think is dead. But he's overdosed on heroin, and Frank thinks that if he gives him a shot of Narcan, he might come back. So then Ving or Marcus starts doing this very elaborate, like, uh, resurrection, yeah. if you will. Sermon. Like a revival. Um, I'd be banging. What? I'd be banging. That's oh, what I was going to so say. I'd be banging. I wrote that down when I was watching the movie for some reason. Like, as if I was taking notes consistently, yeah. which I wasn't. But for some reason, I went, I'd be banging. I'd be banging. Write that down for the podcast. <laughs> there, there was a time you could yeah. have a white character in a punk club. Yeah. Named I'd be banging. By the way, that <laughs> there was a time. They, they it's not 2018. The, no way. <laughs> they used the name so well. There's like a piece of back and forth yeah. dialogue where he's like, "What's his name? name?" They're like, "I don't know his real yeah. name." And then Frederick, he says his name Frederick is something. Fred, he's like Freddie. He goes, "Okay, Freddie." He goes, "No, it's Frederick. A, it's Frederick." He goes, "Okay, okay I'd be banging." banging. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. It's, it's perfect. Good. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, it is great. Um, then I so then they go. I don't know why he gets to Mary's place, but he does. He goes back to Mary's place. And uh, we have one of my favorite moments in the movie, which is them at the in the back of the ambulance with 10,000 maniacs. Uh, these are the days playing in the background. Yeah, I love and that she's too. she's banging her head yeah. and she's trying to hold on. And they're both trying to hold back smiles. Yeah. It's just a real, like, it, it's a breath of fresh air in a movie that up until this point is pretty fucking bleak. There are a couple of weird needle drops like that. Um, yes. That, that's the weirdest one to me. But uh but yeah, I love that moment too. It's I a great it. moment. Yeah. It, not that it has anything to do with it, but it reminded me of obviously The Graduate. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. In like a weird way. Yeah. I didn't remember that moment until I rewatched the movie and I was like, oh. It's a really it's a really lovely moment. Um uh the moment when Mr. Burke wakes up and then he tries to pull out his ventilator is really eerie. It's sort of the first moment where we're like this guy is 
I don't know. He's in some in-between place. Um, Frank and uh, Mary have a really beautiful scene in the in the waiting room where he says that his dad's a bus driver, his mom was a nurse, he was kind of born into it, which I think is a mm-hmm. great line. One of my favorite lines, or and deliveries, I would say, by Nicolas Cage is when he says, but then something good will happen and everything just glows. Like, he's just, the way that he says it is just, I don't know, it's fantastic. Uh, so Frank and Marcus are then called to a young couple in some boarded up house that they think is a drug den of some sort, but I don't think that these two kids were doing drugs. But either way, no, because the well, girl is pregnant. She's never had sex before. Yeah, they're both virgins. Both virgins. Never, never done happened. drugs. Never done drugs. Never Living had sex. In, uh, literally one of the craziest shots I've ever seen in a movie which is one? in the scene. Oh, you oh know I one. know which one you're talking about. Come on, little baby feet. Baby feet. Oh, yeah. Never seen anything like that in my life. Three and baby then, feet. And doesn't Vingry? Yeah. yeah, Vingry, yeah. There's three. That's one too many. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, I think is what, but yeah. yeah. Um, but again, the virgin thing, religion, yeah. medicine, life-saving, all that sort of stuff is great. Uh, Frank delivers... The twins, Marcus's lives. His, of course, does not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. just Frank, man. He's just got a he's got a cold hand right now. That's right. It's it's that's it's yeah. Great. That moment's really just the way he's holding this limp. Ugh, it's just, yeah, well, it's the way they cut to it. I mean, it's on Ving, and, yeah, and then he's like, "Mine's over. good. How's yours?" Like, it's man. a boy. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's just awful. Um, and then Marcus <laughs> swerves out, swerves the ambulance out of the way of a car, but in the process, like flips the ambulance. Well, wait, before you get to that, though, that I think it's a I really love. important, a great shot. like, little moment between them and the ambulance where Marcus is, like, glowing yes. from oh, him. He yes, goes, yes, he yes, goes yes. stop with that look. He's like, I, you know, that, that I saved a baby boy look. He's like, we yeah. saved, but Frank still can't see it. Like, that, I feel like that's a really important little I moment totally in the agree. movie to I keep agree. the plot or, you the know, plot version of a plot going. going. Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, it's weird. I would call it a through line. Yeah, I think yeah, it matters. Yeah. I think it matters. I don't really know how else to say it, like... Sometimes you have a movie like this where um, the plot is so thin, but weaving it through every scene and every moment is super necessary to keep the audience there. And if you don't, I think you would lose the audience. I, yeah. totally well, it's a Schrader yeah. thing, too. I mean, he talks about this with, like, transcendental film style and okay. plotlessness and, you know, how that alienates the main character, which puts you into the headspace, which, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. sort of informs how you feel and, and how you're reacting to what this person's doing and how you're kind of responding to it. That's really interesting. Uh, so he flips the ambulance. I don't know how they did that shot, but it didn't look cheap. Oh, they flipped an ambulance. I, I mean, obviously yeah. they flipped an ambulance, but like how they actually were able to ramp it off. of. Like, I've watched it. Was it? No, I'm kidding. George Lucas. Um, either Came way, in. that shot's Models. great. Yeah. What's great is, obviously, the ambulance flips over. Yeah, and Lucas did it for free. And then uh, Frank just, he crawls out and laughs. He's like, that's yeah. the last time you're doing this, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. That's the last How many times <laughs> has he just last. swerved and just tanked a fucking it's ambulance? Just, it's just great. I also kind of believe that this job is so fucking shitty yeah. that nobody want and nobody wants it, that you could flip a few ambulances yeah. and people would be like, ah, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, I mean, not to come back to the scene with the captain, but the scene with the captain yeah. where it's just like, there's blood on the streets, man. You got to mop it up. Dude, you got to do it. Like, you're the best, man. You're the best. You, you got this. It feels like they do those scenes. It feels like Scorsese was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a waiter and, and you're at a diner. And we've got too many customers. We just got to get this food out. Like, that's how they're talking. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. People are dying. Just go yeah. get this one one more time. It's just, it's it's great stuff. Uh, Frank follows Mary to an apartment building that she claims a friend of hers lives at. And he quickly realizes that it's a drug dealer named Cy, played by Cliff Curtis. 
And this is the first time we get any inkling that she has substance abuse problems. Like, she definitely feels a little off in the movie, but I wouldn't say that she actually feels as though she's a drug addict necessarily. But either way, she goes to this, Frank bursts into the size apartment slash drug den, tries to save Mary. There's a handful of people there. Mary sleeps off her high as Frank talks with Cy, and Cy gives him a pill to relax him. Uh, And I love the blue aquarium. Again, we talk about how there's just not much other colors in this, but I Mm -hmm. love that. Well, the neon yellow Uh, fish moving in reverse when he does Well, that's – and then he has a series of visions or hallucinations that are all played in various speeds backwards, Mm -hmm. which, again, I think speaks to Frank can't move forward. He's just moving backwards. So everything he's doing is just a a rehash or a rewind of something that he's already done. Um, And that's when we see how Rose died, which they shot in reverse. So the snow is going upwards. Mm -hmm. To the heavens. The performances were done in reverse, and then they played it back. Yeah. And they played it backwards. And and generally speaking, the only other time that I've seen that is the man from another planet on Twin Peaks. Um, but that was, I believe, they learned the lines backwards, and then he played it forwards. Um, so everything is. I, w- I once I once knew uh, the answer to this. It's something like I that. I think they learn the lines backwards and that's why they come out so weird but they're played forward played forwards but that's why it comes yeah, out yeah. so like, weird because yeah because yeah, you have to yeah. learn these weird hyphen um weird uh what's the word hmm? i don't know man <sighs> whatever it's our third podcast <laughs> yes kenny's burnt out i actually i normally i normally am not out on a third podcast but this room is 160 degrees? <laughs> it's, it is toasty. I don't know. It almost feels appropriate. Hot yoga, for the yeah, movie I know, we're doing. right? Yeah. Like, it's, 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 it's working. Like. I'm so John Goodman in here. You're good. Right You're going to be fine. I'm thinking Rams, guys. Uh, Just glistening <laughs> right now. Oh, this is great. Let's so keep as, it going. So as we know, uh, Rose died because he couldn't intubate her. Um, and so, like that. Um <laughs> Anyway. Like how you finished that thought. <laughs> like that. Anyway. Uh, so now we have the scene where Frank has to shock Mr. Burke, and he's screaming as he's doing it. Not Nicolas Cage, but Mr. Burke in his head. Uh, so then, okay, now, now we're basically at Tom Sizemore. Uh, the sped up photography of the first scenes with him is just amazing. You've got, and obviously the Janie Jones needle drop that's coming up, which is fucking incredible. Um, there's this one shot... I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. This giant crane shot fish eye that pans with the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about, about the one that then when they stop, it comes down also? Or is this? No. Oh, no, you're on high one. over the Yeah, it's the high over them, And it goes like this, yeah. basically, with them. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how they did that shot. Or, put it up on a crane. Well, I mean, yeah. Had to have done that. I mean, I guess. It's just, it's a, I mean, it's a tremendous it's shot. A super, they shot anamorphic. It's probably a super wide angle lens. It up, just looks. 40, 50 feet or it something It just crazy. looks like you're going around the world with this Yeah, yeah. Bows the edges just, for sure. Yeah, it just makes it feel really just, trippy. It's so cool. Uh, then we have the Janie Jones needle drop. It has this whole manic punk rock visual energy to that whole part of it. And you've got like these crazy shots of them going down the streets that are all sped up. And like you've got these lens flares from the from the rain on their uh, windshield. It's just great. Yeah. Uh, then we get to um, Psy. Back to Psy. Back to Psy. Guy goes into his house, tries to shoot up the place. We don't see any of this. This is all told to us in, in backfield dialogue, but basically a guy that he wouldn't let wash his Mercedes bursts into his place and shoots up the place. And him and his buddy jump out the window 
but Psy misses and falls on the uh, on the uh, the rod it's iron. It's like a spike. Really. Yeah, through his gut. Yeah. And as we walk in, we've got the UB40s Red Red Wine playing. Another bizarre needle drop. <laughs> but it's great. You know, not a, co- one, not a coincidence, Red Red Wine. I got to be honest, yeah. I love that needle drop. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's an insane choice, too. I would have never thought. <laughs> but it's like it's intoxicating, and you understand the vibe, and like going over the, the, the water from the aquarium mixed mm-hmm. with the blood. It's just great. I, I, I think that that needle drop is a little less disconcerting than 10, these other minutes. days yeah. because um, it's diegetic. You know, right? Or or it could be. Right. I don't know if it is, but it could yeah. be. Right. So still, it's still like, who the fuck is listening to Red Red Wine? But it's great. Is the fish? Yeah. yeah. The fish. <laughs> hey, the fish love it. The fish love it. Yeah. Uh, amazing shot over Frank's shoulder to reveal Sai on the floor below, mm-hmm. which is just a, a great shot. Uh, as I mentioned, I love the moment when Sai's like, look at the city with the sparks and Gershwin, and it's just great. Yeah, and he does something interesting there. I, I didn't have a chance to look it up or couldn't find it with uh, the sparks, but it, it feels like he changes the shutter speed or the way they shot it. The sparks are flying. It just, it, again, another hallucinatory sort of imagery that mm-hmm. he's pumping with lights. Like he's just doing every, this is such a high bar difficulty. I feel like he operates at Scorsese that gets forgotten. But like when you watch this movie, especially mm-hmm. the speed ramps, the different yeah. angles, like how he shot, like it's just insane. It's just nonstop. Yeah. People don't, I mean, I, I part of the thing too, is that so many filmmakers have sort of aped from him. I mean, mm-hmm. Tarantino maybe being the most obvious one, but it, yeah. to a certain extent, just, you know, he's I, a weird mix of a few guys. I think. Right. Yeah. Sure. De Palma is one of the big ones for him. Sure. Yeah. There's an aggressive quality to the way that Scorsese makes his films. He is he is sort of the famous Scorsese ones or whatever, mm-hmm. that he's kind of attacking you with his movies. He's forcing you to I'd engage with him. I'd say this them. more than almost any except maybe Taxi Driver. Yeah, there's an energy in this one. I mean, Streets, I think, has it. Yeah, but the, the I always pace felt, wise, structure wise, yeah. this movie just lends itself to being like, here's two hours of just fucking hitting you. Relentlessness. On the head. Yeah, like, just, no, it's and true. not in a bad way. I always thought means and Mean Streets is not on my top five or my honorable mention. I always thought that there was a a distance in Mean Streets that um that, that felt it just yeah. it, it just it just felt almost unscorsese ish. If that That's makes fair. any sense, but yeah. um, then we get Frank saying to Mary Burke. Um, we're all dying, Mary Burke. Like, there's just something about that. I that the, the Sylvia Plath of it all, the fact that like from the moment we're born, we're dying, mm-hmm. and that he's... I always thought that was Elisa Loeb of it all, but you know. <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, <laughs> that then I said the shot You're of Welcome America, Frank seeing a million roses. I was just like, I don't need to see it. it just I, again, kind of hammering this imagery oh, yeah. that I just didn't need. Uh, still really well done, though. Still beautifully done, man. Yeah. Uh, and I would also say too, like you know, 1999 doing face facial CG to put her face on all those people, not the easiest thing to do in the world, and it could have looked really shit. Yeah, and they did a good job with it. Yeah, couldn't have been cheap to do. Uh, Frank helps Mr. Burke die, and in turn, he sort of comes to terms with death. I think a little bit himself about the fact that some people just are meant to die, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and then we have a really beautiful shot of Frank and Mary lying in bed together at the very end <clears throat> with the Elmer Bernstein score and just this light that starts to kind of em- emit from them. Wait, did you miss Tom beating the shit out of Noel? I didn't. Uh, I, did. I mean, skipped that. I little. kind of skipped it, but yes, that's a big part of it, and my apologies. Um, Frank busts out a window, and then Noel runs. Right, that scene? Yeah. We, oh, no. I'm yeah. sorry. I completely I that's, are, a, that's a really big part of it. Comes even earlier I'm sorry. Than yeah. that, I don't know how I missed so that. So, Noel's this yeah. guy. Uh, <laughs> well, basically. <laughs> well, he is like, that is kind of what you need to do. 
right? Because Noel is, I don't even know what Noel's supposed to be, but he actually is this guy who spends a lot of time in the hospital, who they think can die at any time, played by Mark Anthony. He was a homeless youth that was taken in by Mary's family yeah, for a period of time. Yeah, Mary, yeah. Um, she knows him. Uh, he's kind of just this, he's almost like, the, I don't know, I mean. Manically asking for water, and they're basically explained sort of quickly, yeah. like if he has another glass of water, he could die. I know, he's almost like this he's Hawk-ish kinda, character. He is a like, little bit, yeah. yeah. He's like this, like this sprite who just kind of around this movie, and there is this element of like, how could you hurt this guy? Yeah. Right. You know, he's so weak and sad and pathetic and has had the worst life and can't even drink water. And I don't even know why he beats him up, to be honest. But I don't really know why he does either. I, I think that... Doesn't he allude to like having dealt with him before? Like he's yeah, like, you're talking, with this guy. You're talking about Tom, why Tom wants to be yeah. there. Yeah. I think that, I think first of all, Tom's that. a crazy person. But I think it is like... The, it's also, yeah, he's, he's pissed him off in the past. Yeah, this yeah. guy was doing this shit. The other, he's also yeah. just looking for somebody to beat up, yep. too. Yeah, I mean, I think he's looking for an excuse. I mean, I, I think he's just looking for an excuse to beat somebody up. He just wants blood. But then I also think to myself, like, your big prank is to get on all fours on the ground and have, have him. him push him over. It gets, yeah. It's it's either Noel's, way. Noel's character, though, again, plays to just, you know, making Frank a good guy. Like, how he deals with Noel, I think, speaks a lot about the character. That's true. That's true. Because he really does at every turn tries to kind of I will say mitigate that, the damage Noel is doing to himself or that yeah. Tom Sizemore's character is going to do to him. Or. I think that, honestly, the other big bump I have, I mean, for what it's worth, and, and it certainly doesn't... I, I think that the marrying of Noel and Rose together and to get where he wants to go, which is Frank sort of hallucinating Rose and then saving Noel because of Rose kind Maybe. of, yeah. it, it, it doesn't totally click for me. It, he's doing a little bit of gymnastics to get there. Like why no, like why are we beating up this guy? And it, it it's a little bit, it's the only thing in it that I kind of was like, okay, we can do this. But it's a, and I understand that when you're in this headspace that these guys are in, you convince yourself to do stupid shit, and this is one of the things that they convince themselves to do. But it's it is a little bit of a like, the it's a little bit of a buy. Well, no, the, the beating that. up, the, the whole beating up of Noel in order to get Frank's character to have this epiphany is just a little bit of a it's a a little bit of a buy. But listen, this isn't a movie that's based on on plot, obviously. So it's just what these guys do. True, you can hardly just, you can hardly believe your eyes here. Yeah. I mean, I, I I mean that like literally, like you can't yeah. necessarily believe anything that's happening in this movie actually is happening. Yeah. So no, I I, I fully agree. I want to make one other kind of weird little Please. tangential point. Um, I'd never even considered the idea of uh, regulars in an emergency room. Yeah. Until this movie, and I think that's a pretty interesting Mr. idea. Oh, yeah, we skipped right over yeah. it. Oh. Mr. O. In terms of our oh, our current the- healthcare system. <laughs> And the yeah. people who say there is universal health care, it's going to the emergency room. Fuck those people. Fuck those people. I've had experiences out here where, like, it was a disaster. It's terrible. Room. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. Terrible. But it's also, like, I mean, it's it's an awful thing. It's an awful way to find yourself. It's also mind-bogglingly expensive. Yeah, it's a yeah. really bad it bankrupts people. life plan. It's not a life plan. No, it's it's not a life plan. It's a last resort. I mean, I think, yeah. to, to your point, Kenny, this is one of those situations where – I think this movie, again, sort of, that was kind of my point earlier, but illustrates how 
fucked up. The fucked up. Game. We can't do that. Like we fucked up. This isn't. We can't keep doing this. Like this idea that people don't deserve to live is a problem. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, I digress. So let's do our Scorsese films. I want to do one thing first. Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to do the Scorsese Oscar. Oh yeah, 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 please. All right. Well, immediately. I love that you did this, by Reggie the way. This oh, is, this is a stroke of genius. On Here, your part. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, I know you think I'm mocking you. I'm no, not. I don't think you're mocking me. Okay, okay. That's how I. That's how I show my appreciation when people call me a genius. Um, the first year I believe was Taxi Driver, right? Which is that seventy eight or wasn't that seventy six? Seventy six. And was he? He was not even nominated. He wasn't. Unbelievable. Was he not? Was the movie? Wait, what, was what, sorry, I, was. I missed what you... First one was Taxi Driver in 76. Okay. But he wasn't nominated. I don't well, even know if we should play the game. I guess I'm, they were consistent because <laughs> the year after that, they decided Jaws was a best picture and Spielberg wasn't nominated. They didn't? So. Um, it wasn't <laughs> the year after that. It was, I believe, earlier than that. It was so he's was 75? Right? Oh, shit. So it's all out of order. His first nomination... Yeah, you, should probably, oh, so you should probably go. So I'll go with his real first nomination. Yeah. That's fair. So the real first nomination was 1980 for Raging Bull. Which should have won. Which lost to Ordinary People. So he lost to Redford. He's lost to two actors that have directed movies. Here's the thing with that. Dancing with Wolves being the other one. Like, if you want to give Ordinary People the best picture, whatever, I get it. That's probably just like a safer Oscar movie. But like, I'm I'm sorry. You watch both of those movies. Hands fucking down. Scorsese, best director. There's no question. Well, yeah. So so sometimes there's a movie like um, Mulholland Road. Drive. Mulholland Drive. Sorry. Mulholland Drive. That... uh, is a virtuosic directorial performance, but it's also not an Oscar movie, right? So you can kind of get past sure, the idea sure, sure. of not giving Lynch the Oscar for that. But Raging Bull is... I think Raging Bull should have won Best Picture, Best Director. Yeah, it's... it's um, well, spoiler, guys. I've never seen Raging Bull. Don't at me. Phil, yeah, Phil, I'm, I'm going to fucking you, watch it. I have it on Blu-ray. I'm going to give that to you. But uh, I saw I that wanna, with the new Bev on 35 millimeter, okay. and it had to be I will the best be there experience. the fucking next time I can see it. I apologize. So good. It's a big... I, I saw Mean Streets and Taxi Driver at the new Beverly. Yeah. Um, so, I that feel year like I've was seen it. Redford beat him. Yeah, Lynch yet. for Elephant Man. Polanski for Tess... Uh, Richard Rush for the stuntman, which I've literally never heard of, and Scorsese for Raging Ball. I think even Phil, who's never seen the movie, would agree. It seems like that should have been Scorsese. <laughs> I mean, I I also just want to say one thing here, and I know that I said this on a previous podcast. It's possible that I said it during life, um, but I worked in a video store, many video stores. People put movies on all the time. I've seen Raging Bull. Yeah, it's I've just never. Though. I know. I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying I don't need to see the movie. I'm just telling you why I feel like I've seen the movie. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I'm not really okay. that upset. No, you're no, fine. you're not. I know. But anyway. All right. So here's an interesting Sorry, one. So the next one. Can you believe this guy's still? God. I've seen a lot of movies. Here's a very interesting one. And like a really good year in its own way. 1988. Scorsese is nominated for The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. He loses to Barry Levinson for, for Rain, Rain Man. Man. He also is nominated against Charles Crichton for uh, Fish Called Wanda. I mean, Mike Nichols for Working Girl and Alan Parker for Mississippi Burning. What are we going with, boys? Uh, Wait, read it to me again. Barry Levinson, Rain Man. I'm giving it to Barry Levinson for Rain Man. The thing is, I'm just trying to think back. I love Rain Man. I know that it's problematic. You said it was 88. 88. 
Yeah, so I was like not born yet or just born. <laughs> right. Um, right. What, but like, okay. But my no, but I'm just saying my perception of like <laughs> didn't like, stop him from commenting on Raging Bull. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> Raging Bull. No, but I was just saying thinking back to like the first. I remember watching Raging Bull in the theater. It was a new badge six years ago, but still, I, mean, I think the Academy probably should have just given him the trophy after that opening credit sequence. But yeah. anyway, um, but for Last Temptation of Christ, when that came out, that was very polarizing, right? Yes, it is my my memory. You're, no, and I'm also very surprised it was nominated. I, for, I'm surprised you got a nomination for that. Um, personally, I think Working Girl is a perfect movie. I, I love Working Girl too, and I also love A Fish Called Wanda. I'm yeah. going to put that out there too. That's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Rain Man, A Fish Called Wanda, and Working Girl are three incredible '80s movies. Yeah, yeah. He was nominated then in 1990. Goodfellas for Goodfellas. He was Loses. nominated against Kevin Costner for Dancing with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. That, Francis mean, Ford Coppola for Godfather Part Three. Oh, right. Stephen yeah. Frears yeah. for The Grifters, which I think great is, movie. Which is, I think is a really overrated movie. It's uh, a great movie. Barbette Schroeder for Reversal of Fortune, which I think is a really underrated movie. Um, I love that movie, Reversal okay, of Fortune, so enough. much. And Chris, has you for Goodfellas, anybody? Well, can I, here's a bigger question. For, I mean, I think we all know that he should have won for that. but No I, question. Is that the worst snub? Like, uh, is The Goodfellas, Dances with Wolves... Kevin Costner, Martin Scorsese snub, the most egregious. Snub. I mean, that's good. that one's got to hurt if you're Scorsese in a big bad way. I think. I, I mean, listen, I'm 10 when that movie comes out. I don't know what the industry, you know, what have you is, but like, Goodfellas is a, is a stone cold masterpiece. I don't know how you don't give it. To, I don't know how you give it to the three hour movie. I don't know. I don't know, but there was a they wolf. love actors that direct. All right, well, let's. But I'm, there's a wolf. I'm right. going to give you the next one, which is actually kind of a really interesting one uh, because he doesn't get nominated again until yeah. 2002, when he is nominated for, for Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you the other nominees first. Yeah, please do. Rob Marshall for Chicago, so that didn't win. No, Steve, I know what won though. Stephen Daldry for The Hours, that didn't win. Pedro Almodovar for Talk to Her, and a guy I can't name. <laughs> For a, guy a movie, who doesn't exist for a anymore. movie that was shot entirely in what Austria? I believe so. Yeah, The Pianist. Roman Polanski won for The Pianist. Now let's. There, this is an argument that comes. This is an <laughs> argument that happens in baseball a lot, right? Uh, Where you have a guy like a McGuire or a Bonds who won MVP, and now we know they were using steroids, right? Uh-huh. And people are like, "Well, who should have won if this guy wasn't using steroids?" Roman Polanski should have his Oscar taken away. Right? He never should have won it. But Roman Polanski should have his Oscar taken away. So in a world where they realize in 2002, let's not give it to fucking statutory rapists. No, we were a different, different time. We different were, time. You know. That we were, we, it's true. <laughs> well, who are we left with then? We're left with Stephen Daldry. Daldry, Marshall, Scorsese, and they've obviously already shown that they weren't enamored with Marshall's direction of Chicago if they're already giving it to someone aside from him. I think this is the one he wins. I, uh, well, okay. But I guess they also weren't enamored with him because The Pianist wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. That was, was a real wild card. It was. Oh, was it? it I mean, listen, that wasn't nominated movie, for Best Picture. It was not. I that don't movie, think it was. I mean, the performance I don't of think the, pianist the Pianist was. Is, is the, the thing central, I remember yeah, most. Well, I mean, and he won an Oscar for, won for Yeah, Gangs of New York. Uh, I don't, my, my feeling about Gangs of New York, which I did rewatch relatively recently. It was I, not nominated for Best uh picture it yeah. was it was not oh it was okay. it was yeah it was. well here's here's the thing about kings of new york which is that it had such a sordid weird history such a develop such a strange development it it became a movie that people feared was going to be his heaven's gate people feared it was going to be a movie that got that did get away from him it had an ex- exorbitant budget 
You had Harvey Weinstein coming in strong, doing all sorts of crazy shit. Um, I, I honestly don't even know that Scorsese really got final cut on that movie, if we're being completely honest. I think there was a lot of voiceover put in there and a lot of trims put in there. And I think that, you know, you got you 2 to write the, the song. Like, I think there was a lot of things done yeah. by Weinstein to save that movie from being a financial debacle. It's also got a tremendous central performance in Daniel Day-Lewis, but everybody else in it is kind of only okay. I mean, DiCaprio is kind of punching out of his weight class a little bit at that point. Oh, I think Cameron John, Diaz John is C. terrible Riley in it. turns in a really good performance. John C. Riley is good in it. But my, to answer your question here, Kenny, there's a part of me that feels like it could have been the one that won for him, but the one that I'm actually surprised was not the one that won for him, was in 2005. 2004? Four. The Aviator? Aviator? That's the one that I thought would win yeah. for him. Because that movie... I think you like that a lot more than I do. I do like it a yeah. lot more than you do. But I would also say that that movie is also a love letter to Hollywood. It is a beautiful-looking movie. It's not a three-hour period piece about grunts and the horribleness Two of Two hours the, and 45 minutes. About a germaphobe. That's it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But... I, I mean, I, I guess I would say that... No, I thought he was going to win for... I too. really thought he was going to... I thought the Aviator was going to win picture, and I thought he was going to win for director. That's you the thought one they were that, both going to win? I did. Going into the Oscars? Hey, yes. Because I, mean, I, I... Yeah, you look at it, too. It's DiCaprio kind of... Is that his height? I don't know. Where's his the, height? I mean, The, like, the guy's it, never dropped. He's never just, dropped. Yeah. But, like, those two at that point... Yeah, it, it seems like... It just felt in like fact, it was In fact, DiCaprio was so high that anything less than a best Oscar best actor win would have been a disappointment. And it was. He was nominated and he didn't win. Now yeah. they lost that year to Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby, which um, you know, people feel the way they feel about yeah. it. I feel uh I think stronger than most about it. Uh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um but I also, you know, there is there is a level of it exceeded my expectations for that kind of movie. Okay. You're talking about Million Dollar Baby? Yeah. Right uh I Knew nothing about Million Dollar Baby. I this was the first year. So this this is the year of two thousand and five, but it's the two thousand and four Oscars. And I just moved to LA, and I remember I saw Million Dollar Baby in the theater, knowing nothing, and was like I would imagine a lot of people blindsided by what this movie was really yep. about. I was like, "Oh, Hillary Swank's a boxer, cool." And I was like, "Oh, this is a movie about euthanasia." Uh, so I was. Very surprised. Made by a conservative. It's just caught you with that right hook. It is. You see it coming. It it's really so, weird. He is such a. He, uh, He's a big question. There's mark. no one like him. No, there isn't. I can't square his movies with his persona because this is. It's a, I, I love. I really do love this movie, and it's such a. But empathetic. Empath, mm-hmm. It's such an empathetic portrayal of this unusual character. So wait, that one best picture and best director and best actress. See that's interesting to me. Like, and again, it depends, on the, it depends on the merits that you're like judging these things and who's like all of those ingredients that go with the voting. But when you look at the Aviator from a direction standpoint, that's kind of my. It's point. just staggering. Like, it's, it's just true. again, it's just him yeah. doing for two hours and forty five minutes, and he's he's taking risks too, like with a What's lot a, of different things visually totally. in that movie. What's so interesting about it too is that when it comes to the Academy, they usually go with the showier movie. Right, like they, they usually they used to they used to they stopped, but I, it's we've in, seen it over and over and over again where you'd have some big fucking but not in two thousand and four is the point I'm trying to make like well, in two thousand and five like we're still in a in a pretty I mean it's a Clint Eastwood's a very understated filmmaker 
You know what I mean? He doesn't do if you if you look at the two two thousands, you'll see it over and over again. Where a less showy movie, Traffic beat Gladiator and beat Crouching, Crouching Tiger. Tiger. You know, Beautiful Mind beat Lord of the Rings and Pianist beat Gang I of guess, New York. I, I, yeah. I guess I, my point was more that marriage of Scorsese and grandeur and Hollywood and him just giving them it a- It seemed right. It oh, yeah. seemed like the one. So that was the one that I was the most surprised about. I'm not surprised he loses for, for Hugo, which was after The Departed anyway. 2006 was The Departed. He won. It was a really weak field. Um, Who is it? Clint Eastwood for Letters from Iwo yeah. Jima. Okay. Stephen Fears for The Queen, which sure. never should have been nominated for Best Directing anyway. Um, Inaritu for Babel, which is, <sighs> yeah, no one likes that movie. <laughs> and then Paul Greengrass for United 93, which was never going to win, but yeah. that's the Best Directed Movie of the Year. And one of the best of all time. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. You almost feel like it was stacked for him in some weird way. It was a really, really terrible movie year. So he kind of, he, he, he got kind of weirdly lucky. But I, like know, I almost feel like he might not have won in a, in a stronger year. People do love that movie. You know, not me. People do. Yeah. But people do. Smart people. People I, I respect. I yeah. And you then know, he, so he's nominated for. The next one is Hugo, and that's his last. No, he was nominated. Was he nominated for Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, I think he was. Right? Um, so he's nominated for Hugo in. It's like thirteen. It was thirteen. Okay. Oh no, no, no! That was Wolf of Wall Street. So Hugo was eleven, against another kind of weirdly weak field. The field was uh, the guy who directed the artist. The French guy was a difficult to pronounce last name. <laughs> okay, Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris. Okay, Terrence Malick for Tree of Life. Alexander Payne for The Descendants and Scorsese for Hugo. And, you know, I think we all probably want to say it should, should have been Malick. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it could have been. That's yeah. a, it's a kind of weird thing that could have happened. Especially I, think, against, I think it could have happened today. Yeah, especially against this garbage group. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then what is it for, uh, for Wolf of Wall Street? It's Wolf of Wall Street, uh, in my opinion, much darker year. Um, including one more. One of the members of the garbage pile is here. <laughs> Quaron uh, for Gravity, who won. Yes. 12 Years a Slave, Steve McQueen. Sure. Weirdly didn't win. Um, yeah. Alexander well, Payne, yeah. the garbage man. Uh, for see, that, was, that was one of those years that they were like, yeah, 12 Years a Slave, best picture. Yeah. Gravity, I think they've done a lot recently. I like the splits. They they make general. sense sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You know. They, they, they've done it a lot recently. Yeah. Um, tons recently. So it's yeah. amazing that a guy like Del Toro pulls them both. Again, though, that's like okay. a year when you look at that year. We were talking about this earlier. Wolf of Wall Street's amazing. It's really well made. Yeah. It, it, but you've seen Scorsese sort of do that thing before. And in a year when you had something like Gravity, yeah. so, you know what I mean? It's just hard. For American Hustle was cut. the other nominee that year, which is, you know. Cut. I mean, I love Wolf of Wall Street, but. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, let's do our, our top Scorsese movies real okay. quick and rate this um, so that uh, Katie can go home. <laughs> <laughs> um. Who wants to go first? You want me to? I'll go first. I'll take the bullet. Don't sound so excited. Um, I have ten, so I'm going to do my ten. Yeah, do everything. This was this do was everything. This was tough. Um, and I'm 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 sure I'm going to hear about this from you guys, but okay. Uh, no, we're not going to say anything. I mean, I can. No, I, I mean, from like comment. I mean, I can mind a five, even though I didn't want to. But you know, go with your ten. Okay, it's real tough. <laughs> so in ten, pulling up the rear, Hugo. Mm. Shutter Island. I guess I'll keep the podcast going. Taxi Driver at eight. Oh, mean gosh. Streets okay. at seven. The Aviator, After Hours, 
Wolf of Wall Street, Bringing Out the Dead, Casino, Goodfellas. That's a weird list. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I well, you no, do, no, it, do, it, do it from the don't top. back down. Now. Do it from the top down. Yeah, do it from yeah. the top down. Reverse like that's a little bit. Goodfellas, mm-hmm. Casino, Bringing Out the Dead, Wolf of Wall Street, After Hours, Aviator, Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Shutter Island, Hugo. And you haven't seen Raging Bull, so I guess I know. Like, and and by the way, I, it probably would be on there. I I, I want to just say that, f- and I know I kind of pre- preemptively said this, but you know, I I didn't get into Scorsese until relatively late. You know, I saw his films when I was a little bit younger, but it, they didn't make much of an impression, or at least at the time, they didn't really have the gut punch. Went to film school, went back, watched these older films, and was obviously very impressed with them. But the newer films had somehow got their hooks in me in a very different way. I, you know, like, my sensibilities, the things that I lean towards are the Bringing Out the Deads and the Wolf of Wall Streets and the After Hours. That's the Scorsese that I like, the guy that is sort of... You're not missing much, by the way. No, I know, but I'm, I know, like, you're, the you're order is, is. Yeah, but you're not but, missing much. What are you really missing? You I actually would put probably Age of Innocence on this now. Looking at this yeah. again, I would probably put that at the bottom. That never, that never hits top five. Like, well, you did ten, so <laughs> top ten. I don't know. I, the, your list. I don't think there, there's good choices in there. Yeah, that's I, I was just more surprised yeah. by your ordering. Yeah, but it makes sense. The stuff you like, in terms of your sensibility, what resonated with you the most, it makes sense. And All also, right. just in terms of the stuff that I, you know, want to make. Anyway, All right. Go ahead. So if you're gonna hear from if Phil's gonna. Do our, it. Our list is similar. Really? Oh, wow. I, I've added two over the course of this podcast. Okay. Just to get it up to 10, um, one of the ones I added was Bringing Out the Dead. This conversation yes. was very effective. Effective. <laughs> I had a high grade going into this. It's much higher. Great. Um, King of Comedy. This is 10? 10. Okay. Love King of Comedy. Okay. Wolf of Wall Street. Bringing Out the Dead. Raging Bull. Taxi Driver. Those are my honorable mentions. Not necessarily in that's any 10 order. 10 to 5. But that's essentially 10 to 6. 10 to 6. Uh, top 5. The Last Waltz. Oh, nice. Good call. Cape Fear. <laughs> After Hours. Casino. Good fans. <laughs> nice. So, I too. <laughs> this, is the, this is the problem, though. Once you, once you start going 10 deep on him, it's like, yeah. <laughs> These are the movies. But now I feel like, yeah, we, well, we did you a disservice I, to I them love, by making you do five. Um, I love. Uh, I'm going to do his top 25. <laughs> I, I just want to, I just want to say real quick. Goodfellas is just, you know, I, I have my, I have my own little theory about a person whose favorite movie is Goodfellas, which is that they're very boring. But, um, <laughs> but Goodfellas is undeniably one of my 10 favorite movies. Uh, could watch it start to finish at any moment. Think it, it basically explains America in three hours perfectly. And also spans like what thirty years in the movie, something like that. Well, maybe Which is even insane. more. Yeah, like and he does it so well. Does it so well? I mean, effortlessly it, to, to do that, but also be able to be able to take these little m- movements within it and have these almost full full movements. It doesn't feel like an anthology. Mm-mm. It really feels like a, like a story. I love that movie. Um, and Casino, I think people shit on, mm-hmm. but I think Casino is also just a beautifully brilliantly made movie um and it's my favorite score of all time which was taken from contempt but i still love it so um it's a great list i love it and then after hours is just a wonderful i movie need to I, I i think i gotta buy after hours and watch it again i love it yeah. I, it's obviously it's my fifth favorite movie I have it if you want to borrow it it's blu-ray one yeah. i no, think i don't think the, it's is it on blu-ray yet i have maybe no i just I buy everything know. on iTunes. the, the top five movies my top five movies yeah Casino, good, uh, Goodfellas, Casino, After Hours, 
Cape Fear and Last Waltz uh, are all very personally important to okay. me. I think Cape Fear is great. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that about Taxi Driver, which is my top of the of the next list. In that, like, it was a per, it was an important kind of moment in my life to watch that movie. Yeah. But like the other five are movies I've watched over yeah. and over and Cape over again. Cape Fear yeah. is really upsetting. De Niro is incredibly yeah, upsetting. I don't know if uh, Nolan did it purposely or not, but the shot in Cape Fear. When uh-huh. he's hanging upside down, and it rotates yeah. the camera, it's yeah. the same as the Joker. The Joker and Dark Knight. And Dark Knight. It's yeah. like so they both. By the way, your top five. Uh, top five: um, Taxi Driver number one, Raging Bull number two, but they're like a bit interchangeable for me. Uh, and then it's Goodfellas, Casino, Aviator. So that was okay. me staying really strict though, because like I love After Hours yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. But that's one of those movies. It's hard to say it's. Better than I'm surprised you like Aviator as much as you do. I, I understand that it is. It, so that's kind of the point with, with After Hours. I want to make After which Hours is like, is like a personal favorite of mine. Like After it, Hours it speaks is a movie, to me yes. much differently than a lot of other movies do. But it's like if I got to stack it up against Raging Bull or Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, it's just like uh, it's hard to do. I enjoy it so much because it's so fucking insane. Yes, those first four movies are movies that I'm actively trying to emulate when I do my own shit. Right, and then The Last Waltz is something that I watched. Just in dozens yeah. of times in college, yeah. and it just meant a lot to me. But Mean Streets was that for me in college. Yeah. I had a screenwriting professor that showed us that, and we really picked it apart. And it was, it's, I love that it's movie. It's a great feeling it's when, great when, but it's when also, someone really shows you the way with a movie. Yeah, yeah. but it's also that Scorsese early on, you know, probably not as much latitude to do what he's so good at, which is camera work, mm-hmm. visuals, stuff like that. But that movie's amazing too. Yeah, it's too hard. What are I was struck with five. Zero to 99. Oh. You ready? Huh? Yeah, I, so I saw it in 99, and um, I. Loved it. I was like deep in the middle of like film class, but I don't think I understood any of it. Sure. So uh, not in the middle of film class, deep in the middle of like my film awakening. Um, I think I probably would have given it around a 90 then. Okay. That being said, it would have all just been feelings. Sure. And I don't think I understood anything. Watching this, I dropped it a little bit. I gave it an 80 going into this conversation. Okay. Um, Mostly because I think I felt like it wasn't holding together that well. Okay. Um. I'm bumping it back up. I'm bumping it to a 93. I think like <laughs> Love I, it. I don't really have anything negative to say about it at this point. Yeah. Um, the th- few things that we said are just kind of bullshitty things. Um, strong contender for end of your top 10. Uh, yeah. I mean, in 99, I really loved it in 99, but I think I would kind of agree with you that I was in film school. I was excited about the film. There's a visceral quality to it, all of that. And I love, obviously, paramedics and all that sort of stuff. So that all really spoke to me, and I liked it a lot. And I, um, But I don't think I really got to the meat and potatoes of it. Um, but I would give it an 89, probably, for, ni- for in 99 or in 1999. Uh, today, I gave it a 92 walking into this podcast. Um, and this podcast only helped bolster it even more. So I'm at a 94. For this one, mm. uh, it it did not break my top ten at the beginning of the year. I think it was twelfth or thirteenth on my list, or something like that. So it was just out of the top ten. But I'd be shocked if it wasn't back up there when we're all said and done. But who knows? Stephen, am I just rating it out of ninety nine? I guess okay. Uh, well, have you okay? I didn't so see it in ninety nine. You didn't see it. In it's really first time you saw it versus first time I saw it. Can I tell a quick story about the first absolutely? Time I saw it? Yeah. So first time I saw it was a few years ago. It just speaks to the hallucinatory kind of thing in the movie. But uh, I saw it a few years ago. I think I had just traveled, so I landed back in L A. Went out like day drinking with a buddy. Got home at night, and this was just like on my list. I was like, I'm watching it. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Put it on, and I'm watching it. It's just like. Being a little bit buzzed from drinking, mm-hmm. the fucking movie is going full blast. And then at a certain point, I went, 
I feel like there's an actual siren going off or something. <laughs> I don't, and I was like, I think it's the movie fucking with me. I went on into my hallway, like a fire alarm had been going off That's for like amazing. five minutes. But my brain was just playing that trick of like, is that the movie? Is that the is movie that? or is that real life? Yeah, That's and then amazing. I walked around Hollywood at night for like a half an hour while they like figured out it was a false oh, okay. alarm. So then I got to experience Hollywood coming off of watching this movie, like being in this movie amazing. and then just walking out my door and going to like <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard at night, which is its own treat. Yep. But this could yeah. have been set on Hollywood Boulevard. It could have been. In 2005. Or uh, probably later for you. But so you know. around the first time you saw it, what would you give a rating? I'm going to say in the 80s only because I think I was probably, like, again, processing. Like okay. It's, and then today before the podcast? Before the podcast? I didn't even think about it. So I'd be <laughs> fucking lying if I gave you a number. Uh, and now, after uh, the podcast? I was in like a 92. Probably, yeah, the movie like just that. is so vi- the visual. It's a, it's a, it's it's just, a phenomenal movie. To keep that tone going the whole time. That's the trickiest part to me. So pretty like, relentless. Any faults it might have, yeah. I'm just like, okay, well, show me somebody else that can do what he just did in that movie. Like, yep, he's the master. Yeah. That's what he does. What he does. Um, okay, so next week, um, forgive the uh, somewhat poor audio quality. I'm I'm doing this one by myself. Uh, it uh, for scheduling purposes and what have you. We weren't able. Kenny and I weren't able to be in the same room, so you got just me. But uh, next week we have an amazing episode, uh, one we have talked about quite a bit actually um, on various other episodes of this show. But uh, we are going to have Heather Renier on for Jawbreaker. Uh, Heather Renier, I had the pleasure of working with Heather on Sleepy Hollow for two seasons, and she is amazing and awesome and hilarious, and it's a great episode. Uh, It's a weird movie, a movie that I had quite frankly never seen before. I don't think uh, Kenny hadn't seen it either. And uh, it, it opened up a really interesting conversation between uh, the three of us. It was uh, it was really fun. And she, and by she I mean Heather, really turned us around on Jawbreaker. Um, I think we watched it with um, uh, an interesting perspective and she was able to sort of really uh, get into the nitty-gritty of why that film is great. Uh, you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? That's a great question. No, uh, I think it's, uh, Steven with a PH, S T E P H E N underscore Vitale V as in Victor I T A L E. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm at PM Iscov on, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Kenny is at Nybart on Twitter. We are at podcast like 1999. Uh, please rate review, subscribe. Thank you for listening. Awesome. Thanks. Steven. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365 day returns.